PlayStation acquires Audis. Audis. Audis nuts. <laughs> Got it. Hello and welcome to the low hanging fruit. I mean, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as is always, is one Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Oh, just absolutely wonderful. How are you? I am doing all right. Work is still, um, I'm choosing not to talk about it. Uh, so, you know what, Chris? Instead, what we're going to do... <laughs> We're going to talk about all the great games we've been playing. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're new to the podcast, first and foremost, welcome. We hope that you stick around. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about the PlayStation Portable, a new PSP. And we'll see about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about what you guys thought of Gamescom, getting a look back at what the community thought, some PS Plus rumors that are likely to be true, and more. But for the time being, we always start to show off in a time-honored tradition of seeing what each other have been playing so that we can hopefully give each other ideas of what's playing next as well as maybe give you insight on some games that you may or may not like. But I always start by throwing it as a soft lob to my boy Chris. Chris, what you been playing, buddy? Um, I've been playing a couple things. Um, let's see, Sea of Stars came out last night. Mm-hmm. I was actually very surprised by Sea of Stars coming out because it came out at midnight. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And I it normally when games go on plus they don't usually get updated. I think it's till like three o'clock the next day. Sure. So I yeah. checked and I'm like, oh shit. So yeah, I started playing Sea of Stars. That's been really good. Um I'm still playing a little bit of Dying Light. Um I don't have a ton to say about Sea of Stars. I'm still in the intro. Like I just got through the tutorial, I believe. Well or I'm at the end of it. As a quick while it's on my mind, I think a quick aside that's worth noting. Who knows mm. how real it is? Who knows how true it is? The rumor mill turns and turns and churns and churns. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. But with the fact that this is a PS Plus game that went live at midnight, I think that there's something interesting and that might play into a rooter a rumor that came from uh, Titus, Titus, however you want to say. The a very popular leaker has been around for some time. He said that PlayStation is working on a preload feature for PS Plus games. And mm. it seems like the only reason that you would do that is not really for the classics or games that are getting added later, even though it could work for that. And just say, hey, the day that they hit the service, you'll be able to play them because you have them installed. I think it's more for a day and date releases like Sea of Stars. Yeah, I could see that. That would make a lot of sense. I hadn't seen that rumor, but that would be cool because it is weird sometimes <laughs> where you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to the PS Plus games and then they don't come out until three the next day, which is a very like first world problem of me just being like, oh, I'm interested in this game. Like Twisted Metal or Legend of Dragoon was actually the last one where I was like, I've never played Legacy of Dra- or Legend of Dragoon. I'm going to play it on PS Plus. So I was kind of refreshing, ready to get it downloaded and it didn't come out till like three o'clock. But yeah. Well, and then you you still fight. Here's the problem with that, though. If the licenses renew and hit your account at 3 o'clock, downloading it ahead of time is helpful. But it ultimately, doesn't. it doesn't help enough. No. Uh, but they may be changing it to where they update all that at a specific time. One thing I thought was interesting, and I don't know how true it is, so I'm going to say it off of the fact that I don't see any reason why Rude... Uh, Rude Days 93, one of our longtime listeners and patrons would lie. He's um, one of our listeners that is also very Xbox uh, heavy. You know, he, he listens to the podcast and plays PlayStation, but he's more of an Xbox um, gamer. And he said that Xbox has a feature to where you can preload games 
even if it's a physical purchase that you're making. So you can tell, you can go yeah. to the store page and tell Xbox that, hey, I know that I've got Starfield coming on disc, but I want to go ahead and preload it. And then my disc will just be the, whenever I put it in, it'll be your license check. Mm-hmm. And if so, which seems completely reasonable, that's an incredible feature. And it really, you know, I, I talk about, I don't use preload currently because I don't hardly, I never basically pre order digital games. I did it once with The Last of Us for you and you've still not even played it. <laughs> <laughs> so to that end, I don't do that. I buy the game when I'm ready to download it and play it for the most part. So I don't see the benefit in preload. Plus, I can hardly ever play a game as at midnight as soon as it comes out. Like that that just is not the reality of my world anymore, unfortunately. So I don't worry about it. I just play it whenever I'm ready. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to do physical for like collector's editions and stuff, that just becomes a lot more difficult. Yeah. I mean, I do preload a lot. Um, it's funny because I was almost messaging you because we obviously do play games that we both buy and um Mm -hmm. because i'm planning on pre-ordering just a bunch of shit and then just not buying anything for a while so i I, but i like the preload because i do work at different schedules so sometimes i get home late and i'm ready i'm able to play it at midnight but honestly for me it's just a i only pre-order stuff on psn i know i'm going to play like yeah, I know I'm fair. going to play Baldur's Gate, so I'm just gonna pay for it now and then oh look, something popped up that I can play, you know. So I use it because it's like, okay, I've preloaded it, it's been installed for four days. The minute I wake up, I can play it instead of the minute I wake up, I buy it, and then now I've gotta wait. Baldur's Gate's 120 gigs. Now I gotta wait three hours for it to download. So for me, the benefit of preloading is once it's available, I'm in. And we've talked about it on the show, both of us are kind of the same way. We're like, I don't really give a shit about reviews. If I'm interested in something and I want to play it, I'll play it. We we mm. gave we gave you the audience an episode on Callisto Protocol. So you know that we've <laughs> we, we tend to just buy things sight unseen and just play what we want to play. So yeah. That's that's I think the benefit of preloading. Yeah, to that end, I'm not going to act like I used none of the features because, like, a good example is I bought and downloaded Synapse while we were podcasting a while back. I've still mm. not played it, unfortunately. Sorry. That's more because I haven't been wanting to come home from a stressful day at work and immediately jump into VR, which I do think is something VR has to contend with. Your mood has to be at a certain level, and I usually don't have that problem. I really am a pretty easy, very easy to separate work and, and, and home life, and I'm still doing that. Like, you know, I don't continue to think about work whenever i'm done it's just the stress itself the the mood changing aspects of the stress are getting to me more um and so i get home and i'm like yeah i'm not immediately wanting to jump into vr and that's kind of impacting my enjoyment of vr but that is a temporary thing um we'll see how long that lasts hopefully the three months that (laughs) maternity leave takes and then we'll go from there but (laughs) <laughs> that's a different question or a different topic for a different day. Um, so yeah, I don't really see the benefit there, but I still like the ability to be able to buy it while I'm at work when it crosses my mind, download it. And then when I get mm-hmm. home, it's still installed. So I see the utility though. I don't necessarily interact with it. So that's fine. Um, all right. So armored core six. Yeah, I have. Been, I broke on armored core six. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm glad I broke on Armored Core 6, but that game is hard. And 
I came very close to getting filtered from Armored Core 6. I'm not going to lie to you. So what do you mean filtered? So I, had, I had this goddamn com- conversation with Blake. Are you guys more boomer than me? Is it is like being single and not a father like let me continue being a millennial and I like pick up on the new slang? Is that what it is? I'm going to assume, but instead of you telling me, uh, uh, first of all, I'll tell you this much. No, I, I don't keep up with most of the new lingo. Uh, I recently was able to tell through context clues what Riz apparently means. What does um, Riz mean? Now I need to know what you <clears throat> think it means, just to be sure. It's basically like, do you have like... <clears throat> For for lack of a, a better word at this particular moment, like, do you have Gen A Well, you got game, like, right? Can you spit? Yeah. Can okay, you can you go yeah, pick up a girl or a guy or whoever? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because one of the younger people that works in our warehouse, uh, I was out doing something, and we have an intern who's quite younger, and Ooh. we have a new employee who's very young, and. So we were messing with him and saying like, "This is your chance to get a girlfriend." Finally, and we were like, and, and so Jacob comes up and he's like uh but brennan doesn't have riz and i'm like i never heard that word in my life but in that moment <laughs> i knew exactly what it meant so all right you know i've been calling him the rizzler uh the rizzler him, yeah he, he oh says that he doesn't he says he can't he can't have game because he he has a touch of the tism you know that's what he says <laughs> a touch of the tism yeah, and so I told him just you got to lean into it, right? You got to you got to have fun with it. You got to go up to girls that you have a slight interest in and be like, "How do you feel about guys on the spectrum?" I was like, <laughs> and that's I was like that's funny. You're not abs- you're not saying exactly what spectrum it is, so you're leaving it up to them to figure uh, out what spectrum you mean. I was like, "That sounds fun. I think that you could probably get a few girls with that or at least get something out of it." I was like, "Get it." So you can't build your riz if we're going to call it that without having you got to you got to try and fail. That's life, right? You got to try and fail and try and eventually you'll succeed to some degree. Uh, so we've been having fun there. But I'm going to assume filtered means that mm. the game itself, in the, yeah. in the instance that you're using it, that the game's difficulty level is naturally filtering you out of being a person who's able to play it. Correct. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. There job. we go. Context clues, man. I'm telling you, having a mother that's uh, real into writing and being an English major and shit like that is where you have a, you know, you pick up on that stuff. I'm, context clues are a, are a son of a bitch, aren't they? Goddamn. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it's it's really fun. I've been having a, a very good time with it, but it is a very very difficult game. Um, <clears throat> it's funny because to me, it's returnal, but from harder. a difficulty standpoint, or just because of the way it plays. No, the way it plays, it's a bullet held shoot dodging shooting game. It's the same. It's the, like yeah, it's different. But it's the same type of game the way I've been playing it, where it's like just dodge all the bullets, shoot the boss while dodging all the bullets. That sounds like the same game to me. So Armored Core is a better Returnal. Now, is it better simply because once you beat the boss, it's beat forever? (laughs) Maybe. I just didn't click with Returnal, really. Um, I I clicked with Returnal up until that three-hour run where I got to the end of the second world and was so meticulous and doing all the great things as a puppers. Um, <laughs> and then got to the point where I died and then had to go all the way back. And I thought to myself, 
I don't care enough. (laughs) (laughs) I always talk about how like in a game like Hades, I could die at the end of a run, but it runs 45 minutes, Mm -hmm. 50 minutes, an hour if you're really far and you're right at the end. And so dying there sucks. It does. Yeah. But that dopamine kick of like one more run kicks in and then you could you one more run yourself into playing it th- till three in the morning i did that with dead cells mm. i would never in a million years one more run returnal that's a pro- <laughs> problem with returnal is that roguelites you're supposed to continue to play and you're supposed to get like seven iterations in a single play session so that yeah. you learn and you get better and better and better as you have quick iteration and then you have a game like returnal come out and anytime i died after the first day, I did like three runs in a row in the first day. Anytime I died after that, I'm like, I'm done with this game for the day and I will play it again some other time. <laughs> and that doesn't yeah. encourage you to get better, you know? Yeah, I think for Armored Core specifically, it's said it's mission based. So mm. I did a mission today that took me a minute 17. But, you know, and I did a mission, the last boss fight of chapter one, that took me two full play sessions. And the only time I beat it, it was funny because it's typical from software. I was struggling for like, I would say I was on this boss for maybe three hours. And then I gave up, turned it off, went to bed, went to work, came back the next day, sat down, played Armored Core and beat it on the first try. <laughs> so it was very from soft in that way. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't realize it was mission-based, though that makes total sense. But what a sentence. Mm. A mission-based game in 2023. I oh love it. Oh, God, I know. It's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. <clears throat> and, like, you That's die just... and there's checkpoints. You don't have to play the whole goddamn mission again. It's really nice. <laughs> like, it's very, like, it's very hard, but the game tells you, like, you have to adapt your AC to the situation. If you yeah. keep just hitting the boss with like the basic weapons, you're going to lose. And that was, I think, the thing I saw today. Not as much with that first boss because I just wasn't as good. And until I got, got into my groove, I wasn't going to beat it. But the boss I beat today, I realized, okay, I'm not doing enough damage with my minigun and my sword. So I switched to two rocket launchers and I just smoked it. Like, it was over. You know, so that's the thing with it. And what's really cool is you can buy all your AC parts, but you can sell them back for the exact same price you bought it for. Oh, so that's nice. There's no. It's like, it's, it's like free respec. Yeah, ex- that's exactly what it is. And there's, there's so there's no barrier to entry for trying again. And that's, I think, the big thing I was learning with that first boss is like, that's, I was getting filtered because I wasn't willing to try something else because I didn't want to play the whole mission over. Because that was part of the problem is that boss is at the end of an entire mission. It's a longer mission, you know, relative terms. So I was like, I'm not doing that whole thing over. So I just kept doing the boss over and over again and over and over again. And I'm on Discord like with Blake, like, all right, this is my build. And he's sending me his build. And then, of course, I was stuck on it for an entire day longer than he was. (laughs) I'm like, this motherfucker, he started it after me, beat it before me. And I'm like, okay, good for you, you piece of shit. Um, But it was, it's just just awesome. And then once I overcame that, you know, obviously I'm into the next chapters and I'm doing some of the cool stuff, like doing the arena and just you fight. Like it's, I guess it would be PVP, but it's against the AI. And I'm sure it just keeps getting harder as you go on. And even there, it's like respec. Uh, and one of the cool things with the difficulty is you can 
you don't even have to go back to the menu to respec your AC. Like it's like you die and it goes restart checkpoint, restart mission, armory. <laughs> and so then you can reset yourself and then go right back in just to that fight. So there were some times when I was just trying to beat that mission. I was like, okay, I know I can get through the beginning with this, and then I'll die to the boss, and then I'll change to the boss weapons. So that was, excuse me, that was stuff you could do. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad I, I broke and pick it up. But it really, now I'm starting to fear for the rest of the year, man. There's so much stuff I want to play, and I wasn't expecting to get into Armored Core. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's it's thrown off your expected trajectory for the year game wise. Yeah, it was supposed to be Sea of Stars, Baldur's Gate, a little red uh, Starfield on the side, and then Alan Wake Call of Duty. Like that was supposed to be the year. And so now there's no Spider Man anywhere in there. Oh yeah. See, I forgot about fucking <laughs> Spider Man. <laughs> well, that's because there's. I, I mean, this as the positive and negative that it is. There are too many good to great games coming out this year. Mm -hmm. And that's a great problem to have, but it's still a problem, if that makes sense. It is. Well, and that's the thing is I think... It's like you're fighting for time constantly, right? Yeah. If you look at this year, this year, the quality of this year, it will probably be unprecedented because, in my opinion, this is fully a result of COVID. Like yeah. I would be willing to bet something like Immortals of Avium without COVID and without some of the the labor things that change for the better or for worse, depending on your expected or um, perspective. That's probably a 2022, maybe late 21 game, depending on when they started working on that. But I'm sure like maybe. the dev cycle, you know, people stopped working for a while during COVID. COVID made it a lot harder while we were looking at how remote works. So I feel like the glut of punishment in a way of this year is all because of it, because of COVID. Like Spider-Man would have been out. I would be willing to bet Spider-Man was out last year without COVID. That was definitely hard to the say plan. though. It, it's really well, hard to it. say with 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 Insomniac's actual release schedule though. Sure, like think, they are already three exclusives deep into a system that most mm-hmm. of PlayStation's actual studios haven't put a single game on. Well, you have to wonder if you look at just PlayStation's lineup, right? Early yeah. COVID. God of War Ragnarok is a 2021. There's a is a launch title, right? It was a launch mm-hmm. was a 21, right? So then, if you think about the lineup, yeah, it was 21. Yeah, or actually, it, sorry, Ragnarok was last year, so 22. No, but they announced for 21, right? On oh, PS4. yes, yeah. they did. They did. So if you think about the trajectory of that, Spider-Man, you could probably push that a, at least a year back, maybe two. Right, just thinking. Okay, if their plan was God of War, Spider Man, or God of War, Horizon, Spider Man, flip that. However, which way I can't remember off the top of my head. You have to think that everything that we were supposed to get at the beginning of the PS5 and the Xbox generation was pushed two to three years, along with the rest of the industry. So 2023 is us catching up on what we would have had, and now we're going to be looking forward to stuff that we'd already be talking about, right? Like you almost wonder, would we have seen fair games gameplay at this point? Would Mm, fair games exist because would Haven be working on this cloud technology if we weren't trying to solve work from home solutions? You know, it's really interesting thought exercise. I think COVID's impact on all industries 
is something that won't really be understood until 10 years out where someone can go back and do a deep dive and look at how things mm-hmm. changed, what was for the better, what was for the worse, and all those things. Um, you I know, for all of the for all the stuff I don't love about Jason Schreier and his weak constitution, um, <laughs> this seems like the perfect thing for Jason Schreier to write a book about in, you know, eight years. Oh, I'd love it because it's almost – to a very because um, he he's, he he writes you know he he's a well written person when it comes like his both of his first books book are good. is great I haven't read a second one yet no. um, but it's it's almost akin to like the dark ages right where if you believe the history right we we didn't advance for like five hundred years right nothing came out of that time and it's almost like games in a very small microcosm is like we got everything got pushed back so long that we didn't advance. And you almost wonder if even the console cycle might last a little longer because, you know, Fair Games wasn't ready and Concord wasn't ready and Elder Scrolls is even farther away because you got to think like people are like PlayStation has been really quiet. They haven't had shit to say. Without COVID, I'm sure, you know, me and you were talking about what Fair Games looks like already and Concord's almost here and we're looking at we're hearing Ghost of Tsushima 2 leaks and The Last of Us 3 because all of this stuff was delayed. And it's interesting just thinking about where time went. That was That's true. And there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of conversations I've been waiting uh, within this as they've been popping into my mind. There's a couple things I want to break, but while we're on the topic of COVID, and then I want to go back to Armored <laughs> Core 6, and I mean, it's all kind of, it, it's all kind of a similar point, though. So really, they're... I'll tell you both of them, and we can kind of have a conversation around what we're talking about. So the first thing uh, in in more serious relation to COVID is that I think COVID delaying so many games into a year where you have a year like this of so many big games, I think games are – I think games like Forspoken – and Avium and a lot of these games that are are landing more in the low 70s, high 60s, maybe even high 70s, are games that might have fared considerably better in a year that wasn't stacked with so many high-quality, mm-hmm. beloved games. And uh, now I'm not saying that Forspoken suddenly becomes a, a 9 or a 10 out of 10, but maybe Forspoken is like a 72 in a different context. Maybe Avium is like an 81 in a different context, you know? And like, it, it's funny because going through it, like, I enjoyed Forspoken, but I also definitely, as I got to the end of the game, I started seeing some of the things that thinking about it as a, all right, if I'm being critical of this game, what is the problem? Okay, if this game has a lot of problems with pacing at the end, it suddenly is just moving through things too quickly and not resolving things in an interesting enough way and it just has to get to an end and this seems like a game that got delayed and had to get rushed out of the door so it didn't get delayed anymore. All right, so you have that. But when I'm playing AVM right now, it's like, I don't understand the scores but I also don't understand because, like, I read a lot of the reviews and watched some reviews from people, and everything about the review, I'm like, I don't see how the review matches the score. Mm-hmm. It seems like the review strictly comes down to, well, I should say, it doesn't match the score in a vacuum. Like, when I'm reading the review and I'm looking, I'm like, no. But then I think, okay, in a year with Zelda and uh, a year with Resident Evil 4 remake and Dead Space remake and all these big high, you know, Baldur's Gate 3, and we're looking at all these different things and games pushing the the 
genres forward or the industry forward and making big changes. And then you look at a game like Avium, and I'm like, yeah, Avium is a lot safer of a bet in many ways. Mm-hmm. And so is that being looked at in a weird way in, in partial context of that? Because I don't see anything inherently wrong with Avium. Now, that doesn't mean it deserves to be a 10 out of 10. But there's nothing... That there's nothing that I'm seeing that justifies. It's like a 71 right now, and so it, it is. A, it's it's that context where you're like, it's got to just be because of how much other stuff it's batting against right now. And this is honestly, I think it may have even fared better if it released when it was originally supposed to. Yeah, well, like it's crazy how right now a month can completely change the outlook of the games industry because mm-hmm. something can land in a single month and make people go, now this is what gaming can be. Like people are talking, Avium comes out right when people are hyped on Starfield and how big it is and all these things. And then you have a game that's the antithesis of that. Well, I mean, even just to that point, if Fallout 4 releases before The Witcher 3, Fallout 4 gets tens. 100%. And you know what's funny? Like I know you love Fallout 4, but I have long said... Fallout 4 got hit from a review standpoint mm-hmm. and even to some degree from a fan expectation <clears throat> standpoint, though it still clearly sold many, million, many, many, many millions of copies. <laughs> Say that but five I, times fast. Yeah, I think that game very much was hit by the expectation change that came off the back of The Witcher. Yeah. And now that you've played The Witcher, I think that you can kind of put yourself in the perspective of someone who played The Witcher and then later that year played Fallout 4. And even if you think they're both great, I think you can see how one does impact your view of the other. Regardless of whether you think they're both good, you come off of one and you're looking going, wow, yeah, this is different. I think the problem with that for me, and I'll tell you right now, I, The Witcher 3 is heads and shoulders better than Fallout 4. Yeah, imagine, I agree. Imagine me I saying that. Two years I wasn't ago. going to say that. Head, but I head agree. and shoulders above Fallout Four, but it's it's in the same genre, but it's a completely different game. One hundred percent. Fallout Four is not open world in the same way Ghost Recon Wildlands is open world, right? So, The Witcher Three and Fallout Four are not open world in the same way. You're right. And the ironic thing about it is Witcher 3 is the better game, but Fallout 4 has the more immersive world. In my in my opinion, but there you feel this is me and I haven't played Fallout 4 since I got the platinum when it came out. Yeah. But yeah. I remember and the way I feel about all Bethesda games is when you walk anytime you're walking, something can happen. And for me, when I played The Witcher 3 and again, love the game. It's fantastic. When you go through that world, for the most part, it felt like I'm going through this world because I need to get to the next quest marker. And there was never, you were never going to get like, oh no, I've just passed this building and there's a super mutant fight here. And now I'm in the middle of combat and I can't do anything. You never got, I just played the Witcher. That does not happen. It, Unless it's about to give you another quest. It, it, I think it's just, you're, you're right. It's the way the game chooses to frame all of its content. Like yeah. you'll get stuff like that, but it's all going to be looked at as like, okay, well, this is a hunt. 
this is something you're supposed to do. Whereas yeah. regardless of whether you're supposed to fight it or not, Bethesda games do a really good job at making you believe that you might be the only person that's ever walked up and this was I'll, happening right here. I'll and change, whether or not that's yeah. true, you know, it's just how those games are presented. Because like I remember the first time that I was going in Skyrim outside of Whiterun when you're on the way to it, mm-hmm. and then there's that fight with the giant, and the I got <laughs> fucking mollywobbed by the giant into the sky, and I thought, that's amazing. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I can't wait to tell my buddy later, because that's like a crazy, no one else is going to have that experience. And uh-huh. he's like, dude, I was on the way to Whiterun, and I got into a fight with a giant, and I was like, that kind of fucking blows because I thought that I just stumbled across something amazing. Yeah. And the game, the game never made you feel like it was a scripted event, but in many ways it was it very a much was. Event. And I think that yeah. one is definitely, there's a location marker for that giant thing. If I'm not mistaken. No, no, it's um, not. It's just something you can do, but there are two NPCs that you can have an optional conversation with and they'll talk about it. Gotcha. You can um, completely ignore them and go to white run. I think my thing. I think I should probably change the word I use, where Fallout Four is more immersive. I get. I get what you mean. I, I would even say Fallout Four is more emergent. Is the yes. word I would actually use. And that's, Fallout uh, Four is I, a good example. Is I, I think Red Dead Two is far more Witcher Three than it is Fallout Four. Yes. Yeah. That's the best. So as as a as a recent touchstone that maybe a different art, audience has played who haven't played any of the other two games. Like if you're gonna go back and play either The Witcher three or Fallout four, and you've played Red Dead two, don't expect very much cross and overlay of the way that these games play and what to expect in Fallout four. But there's a lot of aspects of The Witcher three present in Red Dead two. Yeah, Fallout four. It's like we had a conversation on the show where I said that like Witcher three, I'm playing Geralt, and in Fallout four, I'm playing me. And I think that's why the games work in different ways where Witcher 3 is a is a really great and immersive telling of Geralt's story. Fallout 4 is a really good immersive telling of my story in the wastes. So I think that changes it. But the whole point that I was trying to make, right, is that I think that quality and the way that the bar has been raised, the bar has been raised for... I kind of, almost kind of what I said last week where the bar has been raised to a point where every game that comes out, everyone expects to be their next top five game of all time. And okay. we didn't have that in the PS3 generation, right? Because Immortals of Avium coming out on the PS3 generation gets tense the same way that Fallout does. So we're skirting around it and I've, purposely up until this moment chose not to say this, but this was the other conversation I was going to have. And that is, there are, there will always be an exception to a rule. Mm-hmm. And by no means by the sentence am I about to say, am I comparing the two things and saying they are the same <coughs> or that the developers are of the same pedigree or any of that. But as much as we are talking about AVM's reviews reading as though the biggest reason its review its review score is low is just because it's not expansive enough or pushing the game's industry forward enough. It's not mm-hmm. open enough. It's not long and sprawling. Instead, it's focused on being a 12 to 15 hour linear game that has some action aspects to it. And then you're just done with it. 
And that's what most of the reviews are like. Is it's like I had a good time, but the game is not long enough, or and I, I would have wanted to see more, and I want this expansion and blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, but but what I'm getting, this is exactly what I want. This is pretty mm-hmm. high quality for a very focused set of things, and it's just clearly a different expectation of what. And maybe if you think review <coughs> scores are supposed to specifically go towards talking about how the game fares within the industry at the time of the review, then maybe its reviews are fair. But I I don't know that I use review scores that way. I think review scores are a little more objective and kind of looking at it. We have a question here that I want to get to in a minute. But the the thing that I was going to say is, in spite of all of what I just said about Avium and why it's getting knocks against it, then you have From Software, who are a developer who are basically known for just doing what they want to such a degree that they can make something that is a counter thesis to anything happening in the industry at the moment and be given top marks for it. And I I say that because Chris is talking about Armored Core 6, a game that visually looks great, but it also kind of just looks like a PS4 game. Not in a yeah. not in a way that I mean derogatorily, but it's like it's not pushing the bar graphically, which is fine. I don't think any from game really truly has. It's instead you appreciate the art, um, and it's choosing to eschew modern game design entirely. It's going mission based. Mm-hmm. It's hard as shit and chooses not to really have much in the way of uh, accessibility options. Instead, it's just like you can either play the game or you can't, and. Uh, Mm-hmm. And it's actually they're, they're being too. yeah, and they're just being they're getting glowing reviews and being raised up and exalted as a result of it. Um, so I only say that because there is it, it is weird that in one hand we're talking about Avium, a game that I think in a different time and a different place uh, fares a lot better versus a game that feels decidedly like a PS3 game in terms of yeah. structure and design and all these different things. Um, and that is because Armored Core 6 is a great game. But I also think it's because, as much as I love From Software and think they've earned this, um, you are dealing with the fact that From Software have proven themselves so many times. It's like no one questions them anymore. You don't I certainly don't. Question <laughs> the in- you don't question the integrity, really. You play their game and you're like, okay, yeah, they made a great game mm-hmm. and they deserve the acclaim they're getting. And I am certain that Armored Core 6 is probably a better game than Avium. I haven't played it, so I say probably because I don't have the information. I've played a little bit uh, of both. It's they're, also, they're also two very different games, like you were right. talking about with Fallout and, and The Witcher. Um, even though Fallout and The Witcher have far more... In, actually, I don't know. Avium's a shooter game. Maybe? I, I think those two <laughs> games do have as much in common. That, that that might be fair. So anyway, that's just a weird conversation to have around the expectations of the industry. Um, and then I think sometimes we as podcasters, but also just we as fans more than anything, I think sometimes we, because we're so thinking about the games we're having a good time and enjoying and playing that we're we're over-exaggerating the aspects of certain things. So like Avium is probably, Avium I know for a fact is really not that big of a topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. because it's being overshadowed <laughs> by a year of quite literally just giants. I mean, there's, yeah. it's, it's, it's up against so much. It's up against so many known franchises that it's really hard for it to fight. Um, but Chris, do you have anything to say on that real quick? And then I'll, uh, we have a question that kind of plays into this conversation that I think is a good time to go ahead and do. No, go for the question. 
All right. So it's Jehudi MD, one of our long, long time listeners, long time patrons. Um, and he asked, do you have a game of each genre slash type that you put on a pedestal to compare other games of same genre and type to? Or do you look at each game individually and assess it on its own merits? And uh, I think that's right up around what we're talking about with something like The Witcher and Fallout and all these games that you kind of how games are looked at in comparison to other games and how that may impact somebody. So we see that on the industry scale of like um, games journalism, how that may impact them. But on more of a, you know, independent level for me and you, where do you land on that? Do you kind of have the RPG that you pit all RPGs against? Um, I don't have anything like this, honestly. Uh, because for me, a, a game's either very much hit or games either very much don't, you know, and sure. I would have told you that I was a WRPG guy, but I don't, I don't think I'm that much. I'm there anymore. And if you had asked me during my, pers- when I was playing persona five, I would have told you that I love JRPGs and I've never played another JRPG past the first hour. Right. Right now, I, I love mech games. I've never played another mech game. <laughs> I've never played another Armored Core game. You know, so for me, it's just if the game is good. Kind of like Crusaders King. I rarely talk about Crusader Kings on this show, but every once in a while, I throw that game on, and it's like eighteen hours of my week is playing Crusader Kings, and I don't know how to play Crusaders Kings, which says a lot about how good, the, how much fun the game is. And making your family marry off and have psychopathic incest babies is fun, but so I don't I don't put really any genres on a pedestal. I think if you asked me today, I would say that third person games are kind of what I look for the most. I think that's what I connect with the most. But so if we're looking at that right, if you're talking about connecting with that, so is there a single game that you kind of pit other games within that same style against and go, was well, it as good as like okay, we'll say third, we'll just use like Sony games for an example, right? You're you're going through Sony's games, you're thinking of all their third person games. You're like <coughs> Uncharted Four is the cream of the crop, and I look at every game and think, is this as good as is this as good if not you know whatever as as Uncharted 4, and then you kind of go from there. And I, I mean, mean, that's I, a bold choice. I guess at I, that I do point, like Uncharted 4. But, but. I mean, I feel like at that point, then the most interesting question is which game do you hold at the top of each respective genre? And right? that's really what he's saying is like, do, do you have a game you hold at the top of the genre and do you utilize it specifically to compare other games to so that you can kind of fe- gauge how you feel about it? I, I was reading the question as like, do you have a genre that steps over? But at that point, you know, I think for no, shooters, a game of each genre that you put on a pedestal to compare other games of the same genre to. Okay, so then for let's go, let's start with FPS, right? For me, it would be Apex. I would okay. always, I always compare how those feel. How about you, FPS? Uh, it's it's the most unpopular answer ever, and I, I get told this constantly. Killzone it's Killzone. It's Killzone. <laughs> I like how those games feel, but I don't want to play Call of Duty like that. <laughs> you know? I adore but here's the thing i am willing to say that there is a completely reasonable chance that if that became the prevalent feel of shooter games that i might get tired of it 
<laughs> yeah, it works. I for don't Killzone. know. But all I'll say is that that is my go-to. I think Killzone feels amazing, and I love that way. And most of the times when I have problems with shooters, it is like I feel like I don't have enough presence and weight within the game and how I'm playing it. Mm -hmm. But I will also say that the other game that comes to mind as the absolute pinnacle, and it is the exact opposite. Unreal Tournament 3 (laughs) feels incredible. And it is so fast. And it is so responsive, and I adored that game. I played hundreds of hours of that game online and got very good. And Killzone and it are just diametrically opposed styles. <laughs> Fair so enough. it's it's almost like a subgenre. Yeah, because the arena shooter is way different. Yeah, I would probably have a different rating for an arena shooter. It would probably be Doom. Um, third person Doom's shooter. A good answer. Yeah, uh, third person shooter. Oh, that's a that's a good question. Are you, are you ready? It's gonna blow someone's mind. I'm gonna bet it's gonna be. We're gonna have the same answer. Is it Days Gone? No, actually, now I might actually blow someone's mind. Days Gone's a great answer. Days Gone's a really good though. I mean, do you consider that to be a third person shooter, or do you think it's it the fact that that game's kind of open world, do you think it pushes too broad? I think that's I think it's an open world third person shooter, so I'd give it to you. Okay. All right, yeah. Mm-hmm. The last of so us. So what's two. yours? <laughs> oh, dude. The Last of Us Two is a close second. The Last of Us the, Two. The is... Last of Us Two feels you know what's funny? Do you notice how the thing that we're talking about on each of these is how it feels? Exactly. That's what I feel like that's about to shift when you change genres, though, if I'm being honest. All right. All right. Well, okay, look, within their own genres, third person shooter. Yeah. What's do you think feel is the most important aspect? I think feel is the most important aspect of any game. I think that you might eat those words when we start talking about RPGs, if I'm being honest. Okay. Fallout 3 is one of the best RPGs ever, and I will say that right now. Mm-hmm. And so is New Vegas. I think I like New Vegas more. Both of those games feel like absolute ass to play. They are terrible. I don't agree with you. <laughs> I think that those games feel like shit. I love I'm sorry. The Fallout Three plays. Morrowind is one of my favorite RPGs of all time. It has one of the most interesting worlds, and it forces you to interact with the world. I said this on Discord today. It forces you to interact with the world to learn anything. You have to. You the game doesn't tell you shit. They're like, well, this guy's in this cave, and you got to go fucking run around and figure out where that cave's at. Yeah. You are not going to get a, a quest marker or anything. And I love that game. That game has one of the worst combat systems I've ever experienced in a game. It feels terrible. It, it feels great when you're just running around. The moment that you have to interact with something in a combative nature, ugh. <laughs> have you played Morrowood? I have it on Xbox. I have not played it. Talking about For the record, feel. I bought an Xbox after I bought Just Said on the show. <laughs> and I have never told anyone, but I have an Xbox with like five games. I just bought I just bought Xenosaga. I, I didn't do it on purpose. So Xenosaga is in the collection. That'll come through. And it was because I put a bid in and forgot. And then five months later, was or five days later, I got a notification. It was like, you won. Congrats on getting Xenosaga. I got it for 20 bucks. So it's great. But I mean, that's not a bad price at all. No, um, but it's funny. You talk about feel. This is both third person versions of games you don't have to play in third person. Well, actually, Fable you do. Fable 2. Um, one of my biggest complaints for both Fable 2 
and Oblivion is that when you in third person in Oblivion, and this is true of Fallout Three and New Vegas, it feels like dog shit and it looks terrible. You're just like slipping over the ground while you're running. It's like your guys is like disconnected from the world. <laughs> He's like spinning around and it's I, awful. I'm gonna and, be and real I hate with you. It. I think we're going to have a very specific conversation when we get to a different genre. Clearly we're about to. So we're out of third person shooters. We know where we are. The last of us two is a very strong second for me. That game is in many ways. It's as good as days gone in terms of feel. The reason that days gone goes up a little bit higher for me is that the open world aspect of days gone actually does add something to the freedom of choosing how to handle a fight. Hmm. And my go-to example for a game like Days Gone uh, and and why I wish that Horizon would have kept a lot of what I think Horizon 1 had going for it with your traps and um, whatnot that you could set up, tripwires and stuff like that. Um, they're there, but they're severely toned back. Is that It's fun being able to run around and just scan your environment and be like, here's a stack of logs that I can put a bomb on and that will roll these people over here, which will divert them around to here. And I can have this set up here and you freely place all of that. And I think that that game's broadness to how you can solve any given problem is what makes it so good. But the last of us two actually feels better to play. The last of us two is hands down the most satisfying to play in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, just straight uh, okay. hand feel of combat. It's so, so good. So I'm going to shift it a little bit. Okay. And I'm just going to ask you, what do you hold up as the best example of an open world? Oh, man. Because I think that's a different conversation than open world RPG. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my gut answer is, is strong. Okay. And I don't think people are going <laughs> to like it. So part of me doesn't want to say it. <laughs> say it. Um, okay. It's I, I'm torn between, and, and I say this because as I just talked about of it, uh, I think it, it's the best aspect of the game, but I'm torn between Shadow of the Colossus. Okay. And I know that you've not played the game, but it is the antithesis of what most people talk about with an open world. It is empty and dead all on purpose it is the point of the game it's environmental storytelling it's setting set pieces with the monsters being the only things you're fighting in these dead lands but i think the the open world feels like every part of the world has so much purpose because every section of the world can be freely explored and there are things to find and ways to improve your character and all these different things and they're basically all just giant arenas for you to fight within. And it's like, I just feel like that design works really well. Uh, the other that I go towards is specifically Morrowind. And I know that that sounds like I may be talking about an RPG, but I, I actually think that game feels humongous because of the way it forces you to play it. And it all comes down to smart design. That game is not very big. It doesn't have a huge map at all. But Fast traveling is specifically relegated to these things called silt striders, which are giant fleas, basically, that you get on the back of and ride between. And you really can't travel anywhere, if I recall correctly, until you've found it and get on a silt strider and then can go to each place. And I think it has the most interesting world, even though it's segmented off. It's got a very interesting design. It's unique. And uh, 
it forces you to interact with it in a weird way. What are your two or what is your one? If you want to go with one, I don't know which one of those two I want to crown. They're, they're both great answers for vastly different reasons. I'd probably say Morrowind if I had to choose one. So for me, it's how the open world feels to live in. So I have okay. two answers for you. They're, they're both Rockstar games? No. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. One is a Rockstar game, and that is Red Dead Redemption 2. It has one of the greatest open worlds of all time. Number two is Sleeping Dogs, which also has one of the greatest open worlds of all time. I've not played that, but I know a lot of people who love and just very, very much like, are, are super endeared toward that game. Sleeping Dogs is fantastic. I think it plays like shit on PS5, so I don't even know how I would recommend you play it. But I was go. So it's funny. When the PS5 came out, um, I was working on the Platinum on PS4, and I was close. I had most of the collectibles. I was halfway through the game. And it ran so bad on PS5 that I've never played it again. Do you think maybe they fixed it by now? No, I've tried. It oh, wow. runs like crap. So, it runs at like 15 FPS. It's impossible what, to play. what about that game's open world that makes it so good to you? It's and interesting. I say that because I haven't played it at all, right? It's just so like interesting. We both, it feels we both know in. Red Dead 2. Yeah, we do. And, I'll, and I want to talk about it in a second. But what is it about Sleeping Dogs? You say it's interesting. I mean, in what is it just? Well, it's a setting we don't see. You feel like there's a every, mystery around every corner, something no, that you want to see around. You every know? every Rockstar game is New York, or it's it's a USA. Most games are fake fantasy land somewhere in America. Okay, right? for the most part, that's the case. And I think what makes Sleeping Dogs so interesting is it's set in Japan. Okay, and so it's a different environment. The driving's different, you know. The it's people you're people interacting like with so much. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So those are the two I would say. Okay, so Red Dead, and I only I think it's a great answer, and I even understand it. But I'll tell you the thing that takes points away from it for me, mm. and why a game like Shadow of the Colossus gets points. And I, this is going to sound potentially crazy to some people, but I I at least firmly believe it within my heart. I loved Red Dead 2's world. For about 20 hours. And I, I mean adored for about 20 hours. Then it came down to a, it's great for what the game is and what you're doing within this world. But it's it starts to lose points. And we talked about this a little recently. The moment that random events started <laughs> happening more than once. And it started being a thing where it's like throughout the time of the game. Like I always mention, a prisoner came off the side of the road and asked me to free his cuffs. Like. 12 times mm -hmm. and the first time i was like this is awesome and it felt so random kind of like what i was talking about with the skyrim giant thing and then the moment it happened again it was kind of like glass shatter and i was like oh no and then it just kept happening i was like well everything that was special about that interaction that was supposed to make the world feel more alive made this feel like so much more of a game Conversely, Shadow of the Colossus and how empty its world is, you can't run into the same thing again and again because the world doesn't try to convince you that it's real. And somehow it feels more real more real because in the real world, the same thing doesn't really happen to you twice in that way. The problem with a lot of open worlds is that they try and come up with something interesting but not too crazy that kind of makes you feel like, ooh, 
that was a thing of note that can make it feel like this is an interesting world that I'm in. But I actually think most games fare better if they just like, yeah, you're in the world and you just exist in it. And we're not Mm going to have scripted events that are supposed to feel like non-scripted events because eventually you'll experience them again and it ruins the magic. So, all right. So, like, let's do one more genre and then we'll move on. I was about to say the same thing. So what what, what genre do you think is left? Let's go with RPG. Okay. So what's best RPG? Oh, that's a broad damn question. I think my answer is going to be pretty funny. And that's because I have three answers. And two of them we've already talked about. So my answers would be Baldur's Gate 3, Fallout 4, and The Witcher 3. (laughs) The Witcher 3 is up there. Uh, It's probably actually my answer. It's It's such a great game. But a big part of me wants to shout out Fable 1. Something about Fable 1 just really understands how to ride that balance between being an RPG and letting me do the things I want to do while feeling natural and like I'm progressing mm-hmm. through them while also not being so open-ended that it becomes paralyzing. And I, that may not be a bad thing. It's just I'm a little worried about that with Baldur's Gate 3. Don't be. We'll be fine. It's what it feels like, even though I don't think that's actually the problem. Because we talked about there is an end. It's something that's been programmed. Um, (laughs) But something about Fable, even to this day, about being able to play that game and have your actions subtly, slowly over time change your character in one direction or the other feels like the epitome of role playing. And I know that that seems so dated by a lot of people's things now. But I think the difference is, is that it was based off of every action that you took and not like the mass effect hyper or infamous hyper scope down version of it where it's like we're just going to make you make a decision that is clearly coded in a color that lets you know it's good or bad instead you just got more evil if you went around people and like burping and farting and like killing people It, it was more like your interactions in the world instead of your interactions within a posed question impact your feeling and that feels like an rpg to me kind of like you're talking about with fallout 4 when you run across a group of things and you're like the game is not telling me that this is one more thing on my list that i'm supposed to do this is something i can choose to do and interact with and that makes it feel more emergent and being able to run up on a person in fable and just be like this person seems cool i'm gonna i'm gonna like laugh and make jokes with them or this person is kind of annoying me i'm gonna fart and laugh and point at them <laughs> it's it seems dumb but it's very fun i like that game a lot <laughs> so all right well there you go jahudi hopefully that gives you some kind of answer uh but you know what let's go ahead we have gone so far past we have a quick community's take so let's jump into it the community's take if you're new to the show is where we ask you guys at the end of the episode something from within the episode or just something that's on our minds that's in relation to gaming uh so that you guys can give us feedback you can push back on some of our opinions that you may not have agreed with you can offer us a different view of perspective or you can tell us if you agreed with us and if so why uh and the one last week was very simple. What do you think of Gamescom's opening night live? So ONL, as some people call it, showcase. Any highlights, any low points? I have four answers. We got more, but I didn't just want to let the whole thing be negativity towards <laughs> opening that live. So apparently people who listen to us didn't really think it was all that great. <laughs> um, so there's that. Uh, for our patrons who go over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month, uh, we always give them preferred reading where possible, but we like to also throw in ones that are not. These are all patron answers. 
the first one comes from Jehudi MD, who we talked about uh, just a minute ago. He says, didn't really have any interest in watching Gamescom. Never had, actually. Not to be on the negative side of things, but were there ever any big announcements that have happened in the past to make Gamescom really feel worth watching or keeping an eye on? I don't think there has been. Back when they used to do Paris Games Week, there was a few big announcements that happened there, like Detroit Become Human, if I remember, was announced there. And um, I think Ghost of Tsushima was announced there one year as well. I don't think there's ever been an actual Gamescom opening that live scoop. But Yeah. Yeah, even this one was mostly like, hey, here's more gameplay of stuff you've seen before. <laughs> Though, I don't know if we talked about it last week. I watched more Crimson Desert and phenomenal looking game can't wait are you talking about the the mmo no it's a single player open world RPG. oh you're right but it's from the mmo people yeah it's from them made black desert yeah it's it's from black desert yeah that, that game does look cool yeah um i forgot but they also showed black desert off didn't they during that <laughs> did they show i'm not sure i don't think so. i can't remember i think the naming is what gets me crimson desert and black desert are so similar uh josh Ayers, another patron he says i wasn't a fan glad i didn't watch live and was able to skip through it Short, simple, to the point. We have Velvet Thunder as our last of the more negatively tinged ones. He says, mostly a snooze fest, but Keeley set appropriate expectations beforehand, so I can't be mad. The Sonic Frontiers DLC teaser and Little Nightmares 3 were highlights for sure. Low point was Zack Snyder making me want to rip my own face off in embarrassment. Um, I feel like you have uh, grievances with Zack Snyder. I don't think it was that bad. It definitely felt odd, and you could tell in the moment, but... <laughs> yeah there you have it i think if they would have actually had something to show for the game it would have felt more purposeful than it actually did but that's okay uh and the last one we have here that's a little bit more on the positive side is from a one-armed wolf another one of our patrons uh he says hands down the best thing shown was rebel moon so it's the exact opposite of velvet uh he says in all serious no uh, seriousness, though, my top highlight would be Black Myth Wukong. Please be like Sekiro. Uh, after that would be Crimson Desert. Nightingale on the 2.0 Phantom Liberty update has me wanting to go back to Cyberpunk and give it a chance again. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the games that Chris and I kind of pointed out, I think Nightingale looks uh, really good, like surprisingly good. And I know we've seen it before, but this is the first time where I'm really feeling like, okay, I might really like that. Crimson Desert is an interesting idea. Hopefully it's very good. And uh, Black Myth and, of course, Cyberpunk are great releases there. So, Hell yeah. Chris, are you going to go back and play great. Cyberpunk yes. normally again? Or are you going to just try and hop directly into Phantom Liberty? No, concept? I'm probably going to go for the Platinum on PS5. My guy. There you go. Yeah. No I'm auto pop on this one. Yeah, that's good. Oh, man. Yeah. So many games I want to play, dude. Fuck me. It's a, it's a rough... <laughs> Rough times, yeah. I'm aware. Trust me. I'm wanting to replay Sonic Frontiers somewhere in all of this. <laughs> and as it leaves my mouth and as I've been thinking about it, I feel stupid for saying that because yeah, I have so much I've shit. not played. <laughs> I still haven't finished my Resident Evil 4 Platinum. I got some things to do. Are you ready for the other? The only upside to it is that it's such an easy game to get through that it wouldn't even matter. But there's another game I want to replay yet again. In the middle of all this shit going on, mm. I have been wanting to play the order so goddamn oh, bad lately. Well, you might as well <laughs> take every, ten minutes out of your day and finish the game. Every part of me is like, I should not do it when I've not even played like half of the big games from this year. And then the other part of me is like, 
yeah, it's like a you know good twelve, ten hours, whatever. Like I know what I'm doing, so probably eight. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's funny because we're talking about that. You know what I really want to get in this year is <laughs> I want to finish Alan Wake and play Control. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Wake's not that long. That's actually a good example of a game you should be able to get in and out of. It's like fifteen hours max. Yeah. Right, that one I can. I'm more concerned about control because I've never played control. I've beaten out controls like 25 to 30, and if you're going for platinum, maybe a little longer. And I got to do the DLC because that connects directly into Alan Wake, too. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you about the DLC. Uh, but all right, guys, that was the community's take. If you want to be part of the next one, remember you can find us on the social media site, formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> at Triangle SQRD. We're on Facebook in a group called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. And you can click down in the description below whether you're watching on video. And I know that that is not actually been true for a couple of weeks. I'm working on it, <laughs> I promise. Or you're listening on podcast services. Uh, then you can click down and get into the Discord and talk to us in our day-to-day lives where a lot of our users have done that and we love to hear from them. Uh, on the video side of things, I cannot figure... We've been having a lot of issues with Zencaster, which is what we use, and it seems to be partially corrupting the video files. So we're able to get an audio version out, but I have been having so many problems with the video. So I apologize for those of you who prefer to watch we have not been able to deliver that. If you like to watch the show, please voice up. Let us know. I do keep doing it because there's just we've been doing it for 300 episodes. <laughs> you kind of feel like, why not? Uh, but I would like to know that those efforts are at least something that's very much wanted. So we'd love to hear you uh, hear from you. If you like what we're doing here and you are watching, consider subscribing so you can keep up with them. But Chris, I think it's time to go into the news. What say you? Let's do it. First one here is Juicy. Mm. There's going to be a lot of talk around this. Project Q. It's finally come around. It has been named and its price revealed. PlayStation Portal, not Portable, Portal, will be released later this year. Still no date, though, and will cost $199.99. Portal is a remote play device and will obviously require a connected console to work. The device will neither support Bluetooth nor PSVR 2, as you should expect, or cloud-streamed video games. Notably, PS Portal uses a proprietary connection called PS Link, which is being billed as something that will make latency better, so your current Bluetooth headset will not work with the device. It will require devices that have Link compatibility if you want to go wireless. There is, of course, a headphone jack for if you want to have a wired headset just to note that there's a lot going on around here so i think let's go ahead and introduce the questions that are around it because they're going to play into the conversation we're going to have we have two questions um and they're opposite ends of the spectrum so first thing is josh Ayers. he asked the ps portal seems like a neat idea are you guys picking it up chris the Real answer is yes, because I tend to just do that. Um, but yeah, I think so, because I think it'll be good for, especially when Baldur's Gate comes out, where I'm like, hey, I'm going to throw on a movie and play Baldur's Gate on the, the PS portal, or I'm going to go upstairs and play Baldur's Gate. You know, there's that, I do like that aspect of it. So I'll probably end up picking it up. And then justifying it in my head and then never using it. So your choicing of word there may lead, may giving hints to a, a bigger point of the conversation. My answer is almost undoubtedly no. 
and there's a big reason why um, that I'll get to into a minute. Um, but yeah, I think the reality is, is I'd never remote play now. And I don't think that's going to change just because of that. I don't really have enough time. I don't, re- I already struggle to make time to game and being able to do it on the go is not really going to change that in any considerable fashion or even being able to turn it on while TV's there. Usually if we're watching TV in the game room, it's because I just feel like decompressing and watching TV. So that's not changing much for me, but then we have a flip side and we can get a little bit more into our feelings about all of it, positive or negative from no fate. Another one of our patrons questions. He says, who's in charge of Sony's handheld department? Cause why do <clears> they <throat> keep fucking up key features? So he lists them. He says PSP, the original portable, one analog stick, PS Vita, no L2 and R2, PS Portal, where do I begin, facepalm. All that said, what's the chance Sony Sony heard all of our PS Portal expectations and are thinking about a pro version? Um, First and foremost, on the chances of that, uh, of a pro version of the Portal specifically, no, no doubt. Uh, they're, they're not doing it. There's yeah. zero reason for them to do that. You have a still very low chance, but a much higher chance if you say, what are the chances Sony is looking at and paying attention to the buzz that the portal does generate and listening to feedback from people who seem like potential real customers and are debating once more whether or not an actual dedicated handheld for those players might be worth the R&D time. That is a higher, still very low chance from everything that we've seen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't think we're going to get a pro version of this. I hope I've said it, and I'm not the only person in this industry who's ever said it, but a PS4-powered thing that goes in there, I'd be cool with, but it doesn't seem. So you're saying the pro version would essentially <clears throat> just be a dedicated handheld? That's what I would like, yeah, but I don't think it's going to happen. Where it's essentially a PS4 in the palm of your hands. Correct, yeah. So my first question there, because I've heard people say this a lot, and I think there's a lot of benefit from it, but at the same time, I hear a lot of people, as we've all said too, bemoan cross-play or cross-generational games. And you have to ask yourself, if Sony were to release a portable that was basically a portable PS4, they would feel the need to support it and people would want it supported with new games to some degree. At what point do you think that a device like that would just end up being PlayStation series S? (laughs) And I mean that in the negative sense, as much as the positive sense, because the positive sense of S is that it's very well priced and it's a good entry point, but it's something that, if like Microsoft is wanting to support the S so that people feel like they can buy it and not feel like they're getting, you know, a lesser product outside of what they are already buying into knowing it's lesser, like resolution and frame rate potentially. Instead, they want to make sure that you're not feeling lesser from the games and features that you have to use. And if Sony's doing the same thing, doesn't you don't you think that that comes with some expectation of PS5 games playing on it? But doesn't that mean all PS5 games have to essentially be made cross-gen? No, in perpetuity. Not if you market it correct. If they so marketed, how would you market it? If they marketed a PS4, a, like a PS4 in your palm of your hand, as can play PS4 games, can play 
PS Plus Essential, or not PS Plus Essential, but PS Plus Premium games, which means, and by that I mean classic games. So you can play PS1, PS2, PSP, PS4, and then you can cloud stream PS5. That seems like a perfect solution to me. Okay, so while we're on the topic of cloud streaming <clears throat> PS5, what are your thoughts on the fact that the PS Portal cannot cloud stream PS5? That at least make, at launch. That doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> That's my thing. I've seen some people go, well, it'll, te- it'll keep you away from wanting to buy the PlayStation 5. And that may be true. There might be people who buy that in in lieu of a PS5, but that's a very small market, first and foremost. This is already a niche product, and it would still be a niche product with cloud streaming capabilities. Um, My bigger thing is that I think it shows how much Sony have not invested into having PS5 units readily available in their cloud streaming servers. Uh, Because if you remember, Xbox actually made a choice to partially hurt their in-store stock availability of Series Xs so that they could make Series X chipsets to put into their server racks so that you could stream games on Project Cloud or X Cloud or whatever using the Series X as the basis of the one that you're streaming. So you'd get higher resolution, higher frame rates. Um, PlayStation have not really done that. And I think you've noticed that Sony has not really talked about streaming PS5 games. You can do it from what I understand, but it's not something they really push. And I think it's because they don't have enough PS5 units in their servers. And so suddenly, if you make that feature a big tentpole of this handheld, you need to invest and take away from the supply of what you hope to be one of your best-selling consoles in order to fund that. I think if there was an easy way for them to add PS5 servers server racks in and stream they would probably do that and i don't think it's out of the question that they may add that later down the line to the ps portal Mm -hmm. should that be something they choose to start focusing on investing in yeah that's fair uh i don't know it seems weird that it's not something that can happen but i think it mostly seems weird as because i do buy the argument of well why would you buy a ps5 but does Sony care as long as you're buying the games or buying their subscription services? They're making what they want off of you. They hardly make any money off of the actual console. Yeah, but if they the console, console facilitates a purchase of a game on their ecosystem, which is that's what they what I'm want. Saying. Yeah, and but, as long as you can stream the games, if you can buy a PS5 game and say, "Hey, I'm buying God of War, but I have to stream it to this because it can't play it any other way," they've gotten your money. Yeah, and they got two hundred, and they got two hundred dollars, whatever percentage of that they were getting. You know, they're You're actually right. seeing his profit. That's fair. That's a valid, very valid point. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they're not doing it. Maybe they'll add it. I hope they do. I wouldn't probably wouldn't use it. I don't. The problem with this device is I don't see it ever leaving my house. You know, like even if I even if I bought one, and I was like, all right, I'm going to bring this to work and connect to the Wi-Fi undoubtedly it's going to be hard to play even if the wi-fi is good because it's not right there so (laughs) it's just it doesn't seem like it's a portable it seems like it's a second screen experience yeah on a consumer level looking at it and understanding what it is i think what you what you would compare it to is something like the um the logitech uh what is it g stream or whatever it's called yes i believe so uh, G Cloud handheld portable. So good example, right? This is a three hundred dollar product. Mm. Um, 
Very similar form factor, uh, very similar use case. You can stream games from your own computer or from services like GeForce Now or Xbox Game Pass. The problem that I see for it is if you look at it like that, right, it feels like a good deal, even though it's a little more limited as to what you can use it for, but it's $100 less. So in that market, it feels like, oh, yeah. But then as the market of looking at it from more of a handheld side, which is not really a fair place to put it, it does kind of feel like, well, I could, for the same price, I could buy a Switch Lite that can play games regardless. And then I could still stream games that Nintendo views as streamable to this if I want to do that. Or for $100 more, I can get a Switch. And then for $100 more than that, I can get a Steam Deck. And it starts being like, okay, the Steam Deck can play games like Armored Core 6 and Baldur's Gate 3 on the go. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about where you try to compare it to. I do think that there's a market for this. I think it's a small, very niche one. And I think for me as an individual, I think the price is too much for what it is because I look at what other things I could buy in lieu of that, that would be better for me. And then I go, yeah, I would prefer to have that. But that's because I'm not the targeted consumer group for this product. So it makes it really hard to have this conversation around it because my personal feelings of it as a device is it's not something I had a want for or a need for. Like I have a more of a need for a dedicated device because I like the dedicated devices that aren't reliant on all sorts of other issues like the fact that since you can't stream games from the cloud on this thing, if you take this on vacation and your power goes out at your house and it turns your PlayStation 5 off and that thing can only remote play into your PlayStation 5 when it's in, re- when it's in rest mode and can awake it from that, then suddenly your whole week vacation where you were planning on having this to dabble in here and there doesn't work anymore. It's completely a useless device until either you or someone else can get to your house and turn your PlayStation back on for you. Do you, you hear how asinine that sounds? That was the first thing that came to my mind. Someone's like, I can take it on vacation. Okay. Two days into your week-long vacation, power goes out. And it crossed my mind because like once a day, my power goes out lately. I assume <laughs> it's because of the power grid <laughs> struggling under all these ACs. But it's like, that's a useless product if my PlayStation just turned off. What do you do at that point? Are you yeah. mad? Definitely mad at yourself. You got to be by getting <laughs> duped. Because that's the thing for me. This is a, I don't feel like sitting on the couch staring at the TV. I'm going to lay on bed and stare at a smaller screen. You know, it's a very, it's a very first world convenience device. It's not a, it's not a realistic thing for, I don't, I don't get it. I get it. it you know, people, like me, I would watch more baseball games because I can throw the baseball game on the TV and play on the, on, on the portal. I get it to that extent, but I don't really see the real-world use case for this outside of, yeah, I just want to play uh, Baldur's Gate 3 in bed. You know That I get, but it's $200 it, to do that. I think it also kind of spits in the face of... Clearly, there's people that want to do this anyway, but like for me, the whole point of playing on the PS5 is that it's it's more powerful or it's as powerful at a much cheaper cost as like a pretty solid gaming PC. And so I want it hooked up to a big OLED where I can see the detail and I can see the 4K resolution or the drop and experience the higher frame rate, whatever it be. So like the fact that this doesn't have an OLED screen and that it's only 1080p, it's like at some point it just starts to feel like if I'm 
at the, I'd rather just buy a Switch and play a Switch if I'm going to already expect lower frame rates and or lower resolution, but I can play it without any kind of way down. So again, it's like nowhere do I look at this and think, yeah, this is a cool idea for me. But for anybody that this does feel like this fits a use for you, if you use a backbone and it drains your phone battery when you try and stream to it, or if you have to exit streaming uh, or remote play in order to answer notifications and then restart it back up, and that's a pain and a hassle, Yes, awesome. I'm glad this will do something for you. And it seems like a relatively well-built device. I just don't exist in the market. It's a very small market of people that this is made for. Exactly. And that's really all I have. <laughs> so, uh, next piece of news then? Yeah, hit me with the next one. Next month's PS Plus Essential Game is rumored to be the studio-killing game Saints Row, the reboot, in case you weren't aware. The rumor comes from Bill Bill Coon, the person who's been actively leaking the PS Plus games early for years now. The announcement of the full lineup is also rumored for August 30th. Sony is continuing... Oh, sorry. I almost, <laughs> Honestly, I have almost completely to say, jumped so in. Keep going. <laughs> All I have to say is that Good get for PlayStation Plus because it is a relatively new game that is at least generating interest in people. Uh, but this does nothing for me. This doesn't change whether or not I'm willing to try the game. I haven't really just loved any of the Saints Rose games enough to beat any of them. And that's not going to change now. Or it seems unlikely to change. I'm happy this is here because I've had intrusive thoughts about wanting to know. So now I'm really glad that I can find out and not have to spend my own money to do it outside of paying the fucking monthly fee or the yearly fee or whatever. But sure. yeah, so I'm interested. I'm like, oh, cool. Saints Row. I don't have to buy that filth, but we'll see. Yeah. And I saw your face when I said what I said. I played Saints Row 1, didn't beat it. Saints mm-hmm. Row 2, didn't beat it. Ugh. Did not play 3. I played 4, didn't beat it. Three's the best one. Oh, I've heard. I'm just letting you know my opinions are based off of a small selection size. So I don't have like strong opinions towards the series other than the fact that none of them have ever compelled me to beat them. This fucking guy. Saints Row 2 has the poop flinging game, minigame. Did you do that? Conversely, No. You didn't do the poop side mission? No. Then you I'm didn't sorry. play Saints Row 2. That's fine. You can... You may have- I, I, I am telling you, I didn't beat it. I played maybe four hours of Saints Row 2, if that. I played probably 10 hours of Saints Row 4, and I played probably 10 hours of Saints Row 1. Wow. That is my history with the franchise. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've laughed at moments of it, but I also think the series got progressively more kooky. I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's just how it is <laughs> respect hey it, it is what it is you've also got to remember that those aren't my type of games i have not played nor do i have any interest in playing grand theft auto 5 i've played an hour of it and as soon as i was playing i was like yeah this is the, this is this type of game and i don't have much drive toward this type of game anymore you're a psychopath Clearly, but that's okay. At least I know what I like. I would rather play oh. The Order 10 times than play Grand Theft right. Auto 5. Well, read the next piece of news, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> Jesus I Christ. know it. 
All right. So, Chris, Sony is continuing its acquisition spree. Did you hear yeah. about this? Yeah. yeah. They announced a purchase with high-end audio company Audis. Oh, really? Yeah. What do they do? What do they make? Oh, they make uh, headphones. Oh. I set yeah. you up. So, <laughs> alley-oop. And you didn't take it. I know. Uh, Audis, like Bungie, will continue to make third-party products while benefiting from being a PlayStation company. PlayStation intends to cooperate. I think collaborate with maybe and what I don't know. Cooperate feels like a weird word here. Cooperate is where like you double check. I think it's supposed to be collaborate. <laughs> I auto corrected it. Yeah, it's supposed to be collaborate. Okay, intends to collaborate with Audis to improve the Pulse headset and their 3D audio capabilities. Uh, so this is another one of those weird lateral movements where the entire purchase is just to strengthen the rest of the brand's sections where they feel like they want to start focusing on. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's uh, some big, great thing. I don't really wear headphones while gaming very often. My ears get sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> one of the worst parts about social gaming is that I have to have a headphone on my head I have a big head man it starts to make my ears sweat it pushes into my jaw I've had multiple like, the headphones I have now are probably the best and they're Razer I can't even remember Kraken Tournament Edition or something oh, like I, that those are the ones I, I used to use for the show <laughs> uh, I really like those and they're the closest I've had to where my head doesn't hurt after 30 minutes of playing. I've had multiple headsets, PlayStation branded, non-PlayStation branded. And it's like I have such a big head that putting them on puts so much pressure on like the top of where my jaw pivots that my jaw would physically hurt. And like my earlobes, you know, or not my earlobes, but the little weird fleshy piece right there at the, you know, crest of your ear. I don't yeah. know what you call that. It's not really a crest of your ear, but that would start to hurt. Yeah, I don't, I don't like headphones a whole lot. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. God damn. Tell them how you really That's feel. why I was so into the idea of TV-based speaker 3D audio. And it's worked great on most games. But something to note, I had a huge problem with um, Immortals of Avium where as I was playing it the first time, everybody's audio sounded like it was clipping. Like it was just like blowing past what they were supposed to be doing and it sounded awful. Like, you know, they talk so loud that it would, like, crackle. And I was like, what the hell is happening? And how can I find nothing about this? And so I restarted the game, and it was still doing it. And I thought, it's got to be something to do with the 3D audio. And so I turned it off, and it fixed it entirely. I don't have the problem anymore. So finally had an issue where 3D audio through TV speakers was not the answer. That sucks. You know what I did notice, though? Um, What's that? I have a Dolby Atmos uh, speaker system. You know, everyone's oh, yeah. been talking about Xbox has a lot of lag. I can't use mm-hmm. Atmos during Netflix. I can't use it for any of that, but I can use it on PS5. Yeah, that is true. Uh, did you see the reasoning why? No, I did not. Uh, so since the PlayStation actually has a chipset and an engine for its audio processing, which is one of the big things that Mark Cerny wanted to go through. Um, He talked about it in the unveiling thing. Uh, Dolby Atmos is actually leveraging the PlayStation 3D audio. Uh, I can't remember the name of that engine right now. What was it called? It's killing me. PS5 3D audio engine. Yeah. Um, 
Tempest. It's so it, it is utilizing Tempest 3D audio and working in conjunction with it so that it doesn't have to filter through something else first and which is introducing that delay. So pretty interesting, right? Yes. Sorry. I got ADHD spaced out for a sec. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Uh, rapid fire news. We have Phasmophobia has been delayed to October due to some issues that the developers facing. But let's be honest. This, this delay feels like far more appropriate. Yeah, better timing. That's another one Way we're going to have to add to the fucking list is Phasmophobia. Chris, you will play Phasmo with me in VR. I will play Phasmo in VR. Oh, that's all I needed. I will. John will play with us, so I feel good about that. Stingray X will play with us. Oh, happy birthday. Uh, him, maybe we can get some, new pe- some more people. I believe it's his birthday, so happy birthday. I think you are correct. I saw that earlier, and I meant to say it, and I got busy at work. So, yeah, happy birthday a, a day late. Sorry, John. Shout out. <laughs> I mean, we're saying it on your birthday. You're just hearing it in the future. Yeah. Take that as you will. Um me, me, me Games has been shut down after 12 years. The studio was behind titles such as Desperados 3 and Shadow Tactics. I hate to say this, but those are games that I know by name and I've never heard anybody say they've played. So while it's sad, this feels like a low-profile loss, if we're being honest. Um, I guess that's the nature of a very, very competitive gaming industry at the moment. Yeah, I liked some of their games. Desperados 3 was cool. Um, I just bought those Shadow Tactics games. I guess I did it a little too late. Um, but yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens here with those uh, franchises. Do they just disappear? Who who owns them? It'll be it'll be interesting to see. But bon voyage to uh, Mimu Games. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to go into the part of the show where we answer questions that we did not have a good way to filter them in during the main news or whatever other segments we were talking about. And we've gotten through most of them today, but there are a few that we have that do not go into there. Uh, So the first one that comes to mind here that we see is from uh, one of our other patrons, TTDog666. He says, question for next week, any books that should be turned into games? Personally, I saw Metro 2033 as an RPG with the different stations being locations and towns and the tunnels between them being ideal for the combat encounters. Loads of factions already there to make use of. Um, And then he also noted, not that the first-person shooter take on the game is bad, just not what he originally envisioned for that property being translated into a game. Um, Chris, you do a lot more reading than I do. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is going to be in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I got a couple that I was thinking of. Um, Obviously, like The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson would be excellent. Even Cosmere would be excellent. Any any Brandon Sanderson product, yeah, is going to (laughs) work. But here's the thing. Well, but it's all going to be a very specific genre. I mean, those are all clearly fantasy RPGs. 100%, yeah. (laughs) what i would take is (sighs) i don't know what genre it would be because there's a part there's a part of me that says it would be a wrpg and there's a part of me that says it would be a walking walking telltale type game but Mm -hmm. um the stand by stephen king oh yeah yeah i've always thought stephen king's dark tower series could yeah. make for a really interesting game that was only it, it's funny that I say this because I feel like Remnant is basically that idea just shifted around a whole lot. 
I guess, yeah. Like, you, you get what I mean, though, right? Where it's like you have all to these connected degree. things and all these universes yeah. that interact with each other. Because, like, if I'm not mistaken, it, it isn't like it considered a, a Dark Tower sub-story. Like, Most it falls of, under yeah. that, even though it a came later. A lot of his later. books are Dark Tower. Exactly. And they're kind of just like... I wouldn't call it the multiverse, but I guess it's really what it is. It's just a bunch of th- universes that are connected. And no, I think they the all take Tower. place in the same universe. Like I think Salem's Lot is in the same universe as it, which is in the same universe as Dark Tower. I think yeah. they're, like they're all on the same planet, all happening well, at the same time. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. Is I yeah yeah okay that's fair. Uh, but yes, I I think that that would make for an interesting one. That'd be pretty cool. I, uh, I was gonna say. This seems really off the wall, potentially, and I am aware of that. But I actually think a video game adaptation, <laughs> and it could work in today's you know, market as long as they make it with the right budget in mind and work with the right developer, be more of an independent-style game. Ooh, okay. But I think more of a point-and-click action or a point-and-click adventure game for the series of Unfortunate Events books. Now that comes with the problem of if they're direct adaptations, it's you're going to kind of know what to look for and go through. So that makes it hard. But maybe instead, what you can do is do the series of unfortunate events things, <clears throat> but follow characters who are just also part of the VFD and whose parents. Because there's other characters that you brush up against in those books that you see very little bitty pieces of, and you don't get to really learn more about them. So you can do what I've always thought The Last of Us should have done originally which was just follow two new people in that same world mm-hmm. who have similar versions. So you can do that and set up a lot of interesting puzzles and encounters. Um, okay. I don't know. I really fell in love with point and click adventure games whenever I, I did that little stint of playing them. They're very fun. They are fun. I got a good one for you. It's happened, but it's never happened to the scale I want it to happen to. We've gotten a couple of games in this franchise. So I would like super massive. I think those are the, that's the, uh, what what did they make? They made um, Man of Madan, right? I'm trying to make sure I'm thinking of the right. Yeah, they made Man of Madan until Madon, dawn, and that's then they the made until thinking. dawn. Yeah. So I would also want made Supermassive uh, to make a Goosebumps game. Oh. Okay. That's what I would okay. like. Yeah. Also, not gonna lie, <clears throat> and and that's kind of what I was saying with like uh, even okay a telltale style point and click adventure, but more point and click adventure. Like the first episode of walking dead, where you still have to actually puzzle solve and do stuff like that. And less like late games where all you're doing is making decisions while cutscenes play out. Yeah. You you get what I mean? Like I I I still like the later telltale games, but I really liked that the walking dead felt like a point and click game and a narrative adventure game. Mm -hmm. Both. That's what I'm talking about. So I'm kind of th- I'm trying to talk about that with Goosebumps too. That feels like a dude. Telltale Goosebumps would also be sick. Just throwing that out there. Telltale Goosebumps would be sick. I would also be super down with a like. I know it's really tired to say like a grim and dark thing, especially for Goosebumps. But make like a like think about like the uh, the nut- what's the one the ventriloquist story. Oh yeah, um, but that is like the setting of a triple A. <laughs> big budget like linear game <laughs> like in the I feel like that's immortals. weird because I am <clears throat> with you but I also feel like inherently if you do that some of the some of the wackiness of goosebumps which I think is inherent to its design yeah would get lost and I feel like you'd have people who'd be complaining that the adaptation lost part of the soul of goosebumps 
but at the same time, I think it's interesting. Like, I would be dude, s- scary stories to tell in the dark, <laughs> narrative yeah. adventure. That's not. And what's great is that that's that's just a compendium. So you could like adapt some of the actual stories, and then you could write new ones. Yeah, which is basically what Supermassive was trying to do with Man of Medan or with the Dark Pictures anthology, which is Man of Medan is one of those games. Right. I would take goosebumps. Um, there was one more. It would be the First Law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. That's like a. I don't think I know what that is. That's like a. You could do either an open world fantasy RPG with that, or you could do like a, a Sony San Diego, like God of War type game with it. Either one of those, I'd be super down. You should you okay. should listen to the first law or read it. It has kind of happened. They have made. It's it's in the same vein as Harry Potter. Like I think up until this year, if someone said they wanted a Harry Potter game, you know what they meant. They don't want. A Harry Potter book adaptation game, yeah, or movie adaptation game. You want a Harry Potter game, and we got that this year. And I know I haven't finished it, but I still think it's a really well-made game. And I think good. it's great. I haven't finished it. No, I need to go back to go and finish it. Either. That's one of the other games. Uh, I am genuinely, genuinely surprised that we have never gotten like a full-on RPG Witcher-style version of Chronicles of Narnia. Oh like God! Any yeah. of like that seems so ripe mm-hmm. for interesting gameplay and interesting world and choice building and following different people. And there's so much lore within that that you can kind of choose anytime you want and play off of it. I can't believe that someone hasn't wanted to do that. Dude, I mean, open a, a Game of Thrones AAA game. I, I know. I, dude, I can't believe HBO wasn't trying to capitalize on that. Dude, like, I almost guarantee you they did make the Telltale Game of Thrones game. Well, and there's but an I Atlas almost game. guarantee you. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. They did do it once then, but I'm really surprised that you didn't get like Game yeah, of Thrones. Atlas that is published. insane. Um, no, Atlas developed. I think HBO published. It looks like no Cyanide Studios. Considering they don't exist anymore. That's an interesting name. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's a couple of book series like that you think. But what I thought of as soon as you said Game of Thrones is I think that there's an easy pitch for, you know how Monolith did uh, the Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor? Yeah. Dude, throw it to them and just be like, here you are. Use the Nemesis system and build you a story and do an open world set within a Song of Fire and Ice or, you know, that whole setup. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm surprised that, that didn't happen either. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can think of one more good one. Um, no, I mean, there's definitely a ton more, you know. <laughs> Even like Lord of the Rings hasn't really been touched to a degree that it's had I love. a few, but it's not. It's yeah. Like I, I give shout out to Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor for really trying to push that. And there's also some other g- great games like War in the North is a pretty cool game for them. Like it's had more than a lot of series. Yeah, I'll give but, it. I'll give it that much. Um, it's had far more original games made for it than we've seen from again like Chronicles of Narnia. All it has is movie tie-in games. Right. Like the Prince Caspian game. No, I'm pretty I agree. sure that might be the only one, actually. 
Yeah, I don't know. It, it's an interesting question because there's a lot of stuff that coming out of the top of my head, like I would think of. But I wonder about some like more interesting <gasps> stuff, like a turn-based 1984 game, like an RPG set in that universe. You know, there's stuff where there's a lot of like even <clears throat> Clockwork Orange universe or a horror game based on a House of Leaves, like stuff like that. There's tons of stuff. So I know it won't happen, or at least it seems so unlikely. But I cannot believe someone hasn't tried to make like a Loco Roco style game or some kind of indie 2D platformer side scroller game for the Very Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> Where, okay. Dude, that is like the most gameplay driven story idea ever. You just keep eating shit to get through bigger like to to solve bigger bigger problems like I, that seems like such low-hanging fruit for something that has such an iconic art style like dude is that what is that basically flow is that what is that comp is that game company's flow just no, it's the very catamari catamari domacy yeah, yeah that's also fair here's my last one because i just thought of it a uh you remember 12 minutes okay a game like that but based on eleven twenty two sixty three by Stephen King. Okay. Okay. Actually, do you know the co- present pre- uh, premise of that? Should yeah. I explain it? Is it a spoiler uh, to say what yeah, the premise is? I don't know. Because I that's feel like actually, I need to explain it. That's a rough one for anybody listening who doesn't it. know the context. Because okay, go ahead. the title, the cover of the book says <sighs> JFK slain. So that's not a spoiler. What he's doing. So basically, the main character, um, <laughs> the main character is going back You're in not time. Wrong. Yeah, I mean, if I told the have, if if you if you know the ending, if I told the ending, that'd be fucked up. I got spoiled go halfway ahead. through the book, and I'm pissed. Either way, <laughs> he the main character can go back in time and change the past, and or he goes back in time to continue trying to change the past and stop JFK's assassination. What I really like about this twist on time travel, though, is that his time continues running. So if he's in the past for a year, he lives that year. He doesn't go back to his state before that. So mm-hmm. I would do that mm-hmm. and I would make the game like Sifu where every time you go in, it's different and you're older. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you don't finish, the game ends with you dying and then you have to start it again, make different decisions, stuff like that. That's not bad. Thank you. That's actually pretty good. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that to you. I don't know. I don't think there's any big ones left for me other than that. I mean, a lot of Stephen King stuff is just going to naturally kind of work because of the way he writes. Mm-hmm. And he's he's so into lore dumping that it's like you have so much to work with. An isometric uh, multiplayer game based on it. I'm surprised that actually didn't hasn't happened. You play the four kids and one person plays the clown. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> a Silent Hill style it game kind of sounds like it would work. It does. It, it sounds cool. If nothing else, a game like Outlast, because the whole thing about it is like you can't fight back against these things that aren't really happening. And so that plays perfectly into the idea of Outlast setup of you are moving through something that you're experiencing, but you have very little agency. The best you can do is try and hide and, you know, it, avoid as many things as possible. I don't know. It's a good question. It is. Um, 
some of them I feel like have been done to some degree. So it starts feeling like, yeah, I'm surprised that you don't see stuff like that. Like last one, I know that we just said last one, but like I could actually see a genuinely great, um, it would only be for the first one though, because like it, it loses this afterwards. But from like a gameplay standpoint of how it would come together, I think you'd have a pretty great setup for like a Prince of Persia meets Mirror's Edge game that's based off of Maze Runner. Okay. And it's a ro- it's a roguelite with that type of movement to where every time that you go through the maze and find your way through. Then you go back in and you restart and you try and get your perfect run to go through. It's basically Hades, but with like Prince of Persia. Sounds like meets, it's basically Ghost Runner. Not entirely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but where you do have to like combat the uh, the Grievers or whatever the hell they called them in yeah. that. A Battle Royale video game would be cool. Like a <laughs> off the book. Yes, a Battle Royale video game would be very cool. If Hunger Games wasn't for children. Like a Hunger Games, like you have to go around and survive, and there's stealth mechanics, and that would be kind of fun as a multiplayer game. Dude, it would never happen, but I mean this in the most real way. I would love to see someone do kind of like what Lies of P and what uh, American McGee's Alice do, where you take something that's quite old and you just be like, yeah, it's going to be that story through a wildly different lens. I would love to see someone be bold enough to like take stories from the Bible and do that. Give me a Cain and Abel game. <laughs> David no Ver- one in I, their right mind will do that. Listen, I know a, a that high happen. quality of game of you picking missions and it's all stuff from the Bible where there's like, you pick a mission and it's like, you have 40 days to build this fucking ark, bro. Here it is. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Different developers, it's like an anthology. Different developers make different stories. So what you do is you'd get like a survival game for Noah's Ark, and you'd have 40 in-game days of having to gather wood and resources and animals and everything to make it. Yeah, and that's how you get through it. And then you'd have like from software. From software would yeah. (laughs) From software would be the uh the David and Goliath. It would just be a boss fight. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking uh Sony Santa Monica for that one. I mean, okay, no, yeah. I got, better, I got a better. I got a better. I got a better one from software. Go, oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, wait, no, I think I changed my answer because I was originally going to go with um, Jesus, and you have to, you have to fight out of out of heaven to get out of and back <laughs> into the cave and move it. Okay, but hold on, dude. A Diablo game, and this is not even that crazy. A Diablo-style looter game uh-huh. where you play as Lucifer working his way on being cast out, basically. Like, you're moving through heaven as you make make your descent. Good. That'd Here, be pretty cool. Okay, I've got a couple. <laughs> this is a good idea. I've got a couple more. Okay? You've got... Here, here's, I've got here's the From Software game, by the way. I, I already know it. I have, go the, ahead. I have the Hideo Kojima game. <laughs> okay. Yeah, his his section of the game is just based on Jesus carrying the cross to where he dies. <laughs> and then my other one, my other one, I think it would be like uh, Double Fine would develop it. 
And it's the whole premise is, you know how Jesus turns water into wine and makes all the fish? Yes. The premise is you play as little like Pikmin type things who have to do that stuff because the man Jesus is God's, they want, like God wants you to think Jesus is his son and has powers, but he fucking doesn't. So he sends these little minions to like change the water into wine really fast and bring all the fish and all of this stuff. And that's double fine. That's not the worst idea. Yeah. Fuck it. Is, is it a double fine or it's just the Pikmin guys who do it? And it's a Pikmin so, game. So from softwares is just Jonah and the whale and you play as Jonah and you're trying to escape the whale like Bloodborne where you're, you're trying to escape the hunt, right? So you have to work your way through the innards of the whale and the innards of the whale have like different boss fights. And <laughs> that feels better for, that feels better for the people who behind echo the dolphin. Cause I feel like you'd have to be swimming that whole time. No, no, no. It'd be like where you have like shelves, like there's water down there, but then there's like car, like you get to like walk over his rib bones. Like you can get real crazy with it and have like That'd a real, you cool. know, yeah. that kind of grim, dark uh, art style that they used. <laughs> I okay. think that could be really cool. I, I know we are undoubtedly offending someone right now, but here's the thing. I've said it on the show before. I don't talk about it very often. I am not a believer. I don't think that that's a big deal. Personally, I think everyone should be able to believe what they want. And I don't dis, I, I guess the way this, I don't, I'm not upset that anyone else believes something differently. I've actually, most of my friends are very religious people and I like having conversations with them because I find uh, religious ideology so interesting and intriguing and the stories are so interesting um, from, uh, you know, just, I, I think they're interesting. So having that, I think that that's true of any, I mean, I think most, most religions have very interesting stories that you could do a lot with. But the problem is, is that if you've, the problem with that take being potentially <laughs> offensive is that you take these things as uh, we view them differently, right? I view them as parables and stories that you can have fun with and twist things around to tell new stories and shock and awe. And uh, you don't, and I understand why, but you know, or some of you may not, <laughs> but I still think that's a cool idea. I do too. That should be Sony's PS plus games. <laughs> <laughs> that's their anthology partnership and they just be like the books of the bible you know it's funny this idea in a weird way actually came to me about three weeks ago while i was in sam's buying groceries because i saw what was called the action bible and that it looks like if you it, it looked like if you took the bible and just like you know how like dragon ball z came out and then like years later they came out with dragon ball z kai that cut all the filler and just yeah. had all the cool action moments it's like if you took the bible cut the filler and all you had was like banger after banger of Jesus and God being amazing. <laughs> and, and it's presented like a graphic novel. And dude, I looked at it. I was like, this is incredible. And I don't know who this is for because they are cutting so much stuff, but they're finding ways to tell biblical stories in a faster, more action oriented style. <laughs> I don't you know. know what I really I, want? It made me I, think of that. Like I would want a game that movies that retells the Bible, but it's like, if you've seen the other guys, obviously I haven't actually, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't. Do you know the beginning scene? What happens with the Bush? No clue. Okay, it's, it, isn't, a, isn't it the, the Mark Wahlberg, um, Will Ferrell? Yes. And that who's in it? Yes. And the rock is in it as somebody. He's in it for a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, I won't spoil Saul it, loves so that we'll movie. just, we'll just move on. It. It's a fantastic movie. <laughs> <clears throat> he keeps telling me the same. 
but you Watch know, it I don't really love next week. I don't love Mark Wahlberg or The Rock a whole lot, so it's not stacking what? up as something I want to do. What you, know. you don't like Marky Mark? <laughs> you sound like you've been watching The Happening. What do you mean, man? Yeah. Science, man. It's okay, man. It's okay. I understand. All right, we've got Please. another question here. <clears throat> All right. Josh Shoup asks, Baldur's Gate 3 is said to have a map that is three and a half times bigger than Skyrim. At what point do you think maybe we need to cut back on map sizes, if at all? Personally speaking, seeing a gen- uh, personally speaking, seeing a ginormous map is daunting. It's an immediate turnoff when they talk about a map that is so big that it would take anything over 15 to 20 minutes to traverse, even with a mode of transportation. In my mind, the ideal size for a map would be the G- that of GTA 5. Big enough to have much different areas, but also not be to the point of being ridiculous. Um, I'll say I guess you, Chris. It, it de- depends on how it's handled. I think the way Baldur's Gate handles it is it's small. I would have to imagine when they say that, they mean if you laid all the sections of the map you go to together, it would be bigger than Skyrim's map. But the first act is in one area, and you do stuff in that area, and then you go to the second area. So to me, it never felt like, oh, no, this this map takes forever to traverse. And especially in Baldur's Gate, there's always something to do behind every corner. So it's really not that. It's really not that big an issue, but I do think some games have too big of maps. You know, one of the things I'm worried about with Skyrim Invisible, or not Skyrim, Starfield Invisible Walls Be Damned is how, ima- like, I can't imagine traversing all those planets. Even if, even if a lot of them don't have stuff on it, just the idea of there's a thousand planets, I can land on all of them, that's already intimidating enough. So. And then if, even if each of them only has a, a, a map size that's equivalent to, say, Megatron. Morrowind. Okay. Morrowind's not that big of a game. I mean that because you're only, you're only playing in Verdenfall. Um, uh, so when you look at all that, I think the problem with that is, like you said, a thousand Morrowinds is so much. Yeah, that's scary. And Morrowind's not big on its own, but a thousand variations of that same size is daunting, um, which... It's kind of going against my my excitement for Starfield. Actually, watching them run around and play, I'm like, I don't know that I want that. It's actually why I don't play that much No Man's Sky. Like, yeah. I appreciate No Man's Sky, and I, when I do play it, I tend to have fun. But I quickly get out of it because I grow weary very quickly of the land on a planet, run around, get mine resources so that you can leave and go to another planet, run around. Like, yeah, they've done so much more. And I know that's a vast underselling of what the game is now, but that doesn't really speak to me. Once I've done the break through the atmosphere, do some dogfights and break down the atmosphere on another planet, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And interestingly enough, Starfield doesn't even have that. Like, there's load screens between planets, and that's fine. As long as you know what you're getting into beforehand, it doesn't really matter. It's just... Half of what makes those games interesting to me is gone. Yeah. <laughs> Though, to um, be fair, to Starfield, The Outer Worlds did the exact same thing, and I think that game's incredible. So it's clearly possible to be good. But also, The Outer Worlds is like 10 planets. Yeah. I wonder if we'll get a Starfield trailer that says, from the guys that originally brought you Fallout. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they did in the... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. So here's my 
here's my worry with Scott, with Starfield. <clears throat> How clumsy is the UI going to be for exploring these thousand planets? If you can't break down atmosphere and visit them, how do you go between these thousands of planets? Is it a very cumbersome UI state? Is it just flipping through menus? Because one thing I'll give No Man's Sky is that, like, yeah, you do choose which galaxy you want to go to. But then once you're in that galaxy, you have the freedom to fly around each planet and just naturally land and leave, land and leave, land and leave. And since you don't have the ability to land and leave and break atmosphere without loading, that makes me think that you're probably not going to be able to fly around probably and so how do you like but then again they've they've talked about like you have a ship and you have dog fights but i have this feeling and i love kingdom hearts 3 and kingdom hearts 2 and kingdom hearts 1 i love the gummy ship missions but i have a feeling it's gonna be a lot more like gummy ship missions where you have this free space where there's planets but then you just fight stuff in this kind of preloaded area and then you go to another planet i hope to be wrong it's just i don't know a lot of what's happening with Starfield right now, not even in any other way than just it's hard to know what to expect. As certain things become more known, it feels like, okay, it's not offering the type of game I thought it was. And that's not a bad thing because I don't want it to be a lot like No Man's Sky. But No Man's Sky does do some things right. So, yeah, it I does. Don't know. Interesting. To that end, Josh, to answer the question, Yes. <laughs> no. Map sizes can be a problem, but like Chris said, it just depends on what you do within them. Yeah. So exactly. Um, I would tend to lean on the side of maps being smaller rather than larger. But if you're going to be larger, I personally think that I don't want that to be in the marketing. I hate when games are like, we're three and a half times the size of Skyrim. I'm like, that makes me actively not want to play your game. (laughs) But now if the game just happens to be that big, but you're telling me all these other cool things and I start playing it and I go, wow, this game's really big. Then suddenly it's like, oh, I just discovered that and I'm already having a good time. The problem by telling me is that you create a barrier of entry for me where I go, do I really want to give that much of my time? I wish I did not know Persona 5 took 100 hours. Oh, just play it. <laughs> it's Brad, a barrier. I, I'm going to mental end, barrier. I'm going to end this map conversation on an analogy, right? Or not an analogy, but, but an anecdote, a story. Okay. Okay. I, I've, I've maintained in all of my life, um, that you should always pretend you have a smaller penis than you do. <laughs> okay. Right. Where's this parable going? So I think video game maps are very much like penises where you undersell so that when I see what you have and it's more than I expected, right? I'm happy, right? No girl. I call it the the roadhouse effect. Sure. Absolutely. No girl is going to be upset. You walk in the (laughs) roadhouse. No girl is going to be upset, right? If you're a really funny guy. Nice guy, you know, you tip waitress as well. You're very polite to service people, all that great stuff that women look for. But on the first date, you're like, hey, just to warn you, I'm not the biggest down there, right? And she sits there. She's like, this is a great guy. I can deal with that. I have a vibrator at home. This is fine. So then you go back and she's expecting like a two to three incher and you flop out a fiver. She's happy. (laughs) But you go to a date and you're like, 
oh, my dick's three times the size of Ron Jeremy's. You're going to have a fucking problem when you get into the bedroom. You know what I mean? So I think I think we agree here. We do. On agree. the marketing <laughs> side of things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, undersell, over deliver. Exactly. Yeah. I, I say that all the time, though. I really do. I, I tell people sometimes, use the roadhouse effect. I was like, every time I've ever been to roadhouse, they tell me that it's going to be 45 minutes. I wait mm-hmm. 15 minutes and they tell me my seat's ready. Uh, and then normally I'm pissed when I go place and they say 45 minutes. Cause I'm like, there's no way. And cause <laughs> every time I, they say 45 minutes anywhere else, it is 45 minutes. Yeah. I like that roadhouse. <clears throat> I kind of have that like, well, it's going to take 45 minutes, but it's never actually taken me 45 minutes. And so every single time that they tell me in 15 minutes that I'm ready, I'm like, damn, they're on their game. <laughs> I know it's just a lie. Yeah. But I, I like the lie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so that you over, you know, you're comfortable for 45. Um, it's yeah. true. It's don't, true. don't tell girls you have a big penis. Tell them you have a small penis and surprise them with a mediocre penis. And that's what, that's what Todd Howard should have done with Scott, with Starfield. <laughs> Todd Howard should have said he had a small works. planet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, taking the penis analogy to his, it just works. <laughs> really working wonders over here I, you, yeah you can leave your pubes anywhere and they'll be there for the rest of the time on earth <laughs> i just i just imagine todd howard going on dates with women like he's probably married and happy but in this scenario i'm creating of todd howard going on dates with girls and he's like he, he walks out you know they're talking and everything they start talking about the boudoir and he's like listen it just works. And then he gets in the room, and much like every Bethesda game, it's just a glitchy, buggy mess. It can't stay up. It's like flipping and like, And he's every, like, I swear it wasn't like this earlier. But every fifth thrust, he's inside, like glitches into her and then pops back out. He kind of clips he, through her. When he comes, he flies through the air. Falls through the bed. <laughs> oh my god! You know what this conversation is really good for? We have a seg- a section of the club here at Triangle Squared Nightclub. It's mm. called the Velvet's Corner, where we get sexy. It is called the Velvet's Corner. I think it's time to get sexy. There's technically a two for here because we have an additional question that comes in response to Velvet's Corner. Oh, okay. So I think it's time to go ahead break the walls off this bad boy throw the hot dog down the hallway if you catch my grift grift (laughs) are you sure that's the word you're trying to say i'm grifting so yes i'm being a grifter you're fucking grifting me with the end of that goddamn theme song i'm edging you it's only like like, 15 weeks much like playstation and blink 182 you're being edged. <laughs> Where are you? Because I'm so close now. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So Velvet's Corner this week is interestingly worded. I think he means Nartek, but I'm going to read it the way he said it. He says, if the Triangle Squared crew, parentheses, Brett, Chris, Saul, and Blake, were characters in an RPG, what class would you be? What would your signature weapon be? What would your skills be? Who would be the tragic mid-game death? And who would be the one who turns evil in the sequel? The, this question sponsored by Sea of Stars because I was playing it when I wrote it. So, Shoot. here we have 
Game Pass. Here we have four people, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow the ghost of Blake Popes. Also, I think we can say right now, Blake is the mid-game tragic death. No, because I he disagree. always. Did- <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I I would love to hear yours, but if you want to start with each role, I don't. I, I, however, you want to do this, right? So let's go. Let's go with mid-game tragic death first, because I think this is, is going to be our our biggest disagreement, and I think it's very clearly Saul is the mid-game. I was tragic I was death. actually about to say, considering that Saul got a blood clot and then has not been seen on the show, <laughs> he had like four episodes back before he did. He, he did. He did. But here's the thing: um, Blake has been on an episode of Triangle Squared more recently than Saul has. So Saul is, but he best. hasn't. Yes, he was I on Triangle, Triangle Square spoiler sets. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, fair enough. Continue. So Saul is the tragic death. I think Blake mm. is the evil one. Blake turns evil? Yeah. That actually makes sense because he's an Xbox player who flip-flops back and forth between the two. Right, exactly. And he also destroyed Midweek Matinee. So He did. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it was said he would bring balance to the podcast, not leave it shrouded in darkness. Yeah, right? And then we had to watch nine Fast and the Furious movies, and then we never did it again. (laughs) Dude, Blake, I love you. And I say this with all of the love in the world, but I have never found something so funny as Chris (laughs) begging you to watch the MCU for Midweek Matinee, you quitting the show, and a week later watching the entire MCU in less than a week. It is... (laughs) Uh, I still think the I th- dude. I swear to you, Blake did that out of spite, and I love him <laughs> even more for it. Uh, I don't know what would possess someone to be like, "Nah, I don't want to watch the MCU." Quit the podcast where you've been asked to watch the MCU, and immediately go, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna watch them all in record time." <laughs> <laughs> including like fucking WandaVision. This man was through the MCU in like a week and a half. Yeah, and like everything the MCU had to offer. Yeah, yeah. not just the movies. Everything that it. was out at the time. All of it. Incredible. Genuinely incredible, Blake. <laughs> Fucking OG goat move. <laughs> That's like big dick walk in the room, swinging shit around. Like, yeah, you are the guy who says you have a threefer, and then you whip out an eightfer. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you're fucking... He's going for it. That is one of the funniest things I've ever experienced. I still think a little bit in of a my tangent, life. But I still think the funniest thing about Midweek Matinee is the last episode is titled Fast Nine and then in parentheses end of the line. And we didn't intend to stop doing the show at that point. We just stopped doing the show. So the last episode of Midweek is called End of the Line. <laughs> also, we're, that it's so funny. That all that comes right after like the the late like you know if you, if we were a sitcom the late ep, like the late season episodes where you're saying goodbye to all the characters and we had the fast seven goodbye to, <laughs> to, 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 Blake to Josh, and Josh. And Bog, that was good that's still I still love that yeah and honestly a little peek behind the curtain I I think we'd still be doing midweek matinee if we didn't want to put it on video. If we'd never started thinking about video and then I just tried to edit it and gave up, we'd probably still be doing it. By you might be right. But to be we, fair, you literally could do that right now with the episodes we even had and you not. I could. So, if I could. edit those episodes and you're like, fine. There are three episodes, of, if I'm not mistaken, right? Three episodes of Midweek Matinee I think that have never four. been heard. I Listen, 
Top half Hulk, bottom <laughs> top or bottom half Hulk <laughs> is still the funniest conversation you ever had. And like, I'm sure listeners might get it. Every once in a while, I'm stoned on this show. Like every once in a while, like you'll see, like I've got different vape. That's, that's a weed vape. Okay, so I've been high on the show, but yeah, I'm, I'm learning s- something new. But I was fucking high on that show. <laughs> That we, checks out. We were talking. So much more makes sense. I knew that you smoked, Chris, and I knew that you did it back then, but I'm not going to lie to you. I say this as somebody who's well aware of this own aspect of myself. I've noticed that when I don't, since I don't do a lot of things, yeah, your worldview, because I don't surround myself with a lot, or I used to not. I'm a lot mm-hmm. better now, but I used to not surround myself with any people that do the thing. So I will tell you right now, if I don't see people smoke, and I never smell cigarette smoke or anything around them, I assume that they don't smoke. And I mean that <laughs> of anything. I, if I've never seen someone drink, my assumption is that they don't drink. Yeah. Because that's, that's what I do. So it's like I am naturally, accidentally projecting my worldview onto these people. And I have had times where I don't think even worse of them, but I've had times where I've known someone for like eight years and then I see them smoke and I'm like, my entire view of you is has changed because I made a fucking presumption that was not fair. Yeah. <laughs> so a, I, no been, joke, Chris. I thought that you had just quit smoking. That's it's funny because I, I had, and then very recently I picked it back up, and I'm, I'm going to stop again. I just missed it. So every once in a while, I've just like taken a hit, and it's never been anything crazy. But that episode. <laughs> That was like when I was at my worst of smoking and I was so blazed on that show and it was just such a good time. That's probably the most fun I've had recording that show. And no one's even ever heard it. I'll get it edited. You say that, but the pot's making you lazy, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt Walsh. (laughs) Wait, is that the dude from the Daily Wire? Correct. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I don't keep up with it enough. So Blake is the villain. He goes bad. Um, that seems what's his, fair. What's his class? Mm. He's a mm. sorcerer. He's a conjurer. You know why? Because he's an Xbox fan and they don't have any games, but they keep saying they do. <laughs> so he just makes illusions. <laughs> yeah, he's an illusionist magic. Yeah, yeah he's an illusionist that. mage. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's a good one. I like that. We're poking fun, Blake. Calm down. <laughs> the special is the, it's called the, the Game Pass Bomb. <laughs> so he gets up and he goes, give me all your free games, your seven and a half, your indie games. And then he throws it and kills. Tries that's to like kill his us. limit break? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's his spirit bomb. <clears throat> okay. But then we get protected I, I feel confident because that. of our VR an illusionist, headsets. An illusionist mage? Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> illusionist mage. Okay, I like that. I like that. All right. And yeah, I, I do think I think he's funny. In the, he'd be the person that turns on us. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because like one of us won't like Starfield. And that'll be where, where it comes to it. Where we get on a show with him and he's like, oh, I love Starfield. And we're like, ah, I don't know. There's invisible walls on the tutorial planet. And... He he, just, you know, Game Pass bombs See, us. I like to think of him, <clears throat> if, I can, if I can reference Tolkien for a second. Sure. Who's that? Oh, Tolkien? <laughs> <laughs> In case you don't know, author of a very famous book. Yeah, um, Multiple very why. famous books. 
It's so funny because I'm talking about Boromir, and I just imagine Boromir giving all the members of the Fellowship of the Ring a tape for why he did what he did. Frodo, Frodo you're my first please. It was always you. You didn't take the eagles to Mount Mordor or whatever the fuck. <laughs> When Gandalf said, run, you fools, you didn't run. Right. <laughs> no, but seriously, I was going to say I see Blake in this Sean Bean Boromir thing, you know, where like he would betray us and he'd die. I'm kind of mixing characters. I know, you know that's a little is? rough. You know what it so is? So I guess Saul would be Boromir in this situation where he, he's the tragic mid-death, but... That feels wrong because Saul didn't betray anybody. You know, I mean, he no. he did leave the show, but that's okay. He's the quick. I mean, I've talked to Saul so much that I I know it's so funny to me. In my head, I I think that there is at least one person who listens to this show that thinks that Saul left because of bad blood. I just know that it exists, and they think that we're just have this like facade that he didn't. But I see Saul so many times a week that it's not even funny. I honestly think I see Saul more now than I did <laughs> when we were doing the podcast together. As funny as that is, um, just I, I think that that's funny to throw out there. So uh, Saul would Saul would be the Boromir slash um, Aerith. So, Saul would be the Aerith. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good, actually. That's, that's solid. <clears throat> I, I have the reason Blake turns on us. I figured it out. Mm, okay. Um, so he just sold his PS5 because um, he doesn't play As it. As he does. He's had, he had it for two weeks, decided he was tired of it. So I think what turns it him evil is mm. Spider-Man comes out to good reviews and he wants to play it, but he knows we'll make fun of him if he buys, if he buys a PS5. <laughs> So he becomes evil so that he can take us out and play Spider-Man in peace. Okay. Good. Yeah, I think that's good. And he's got... I know I'm referencing Lord of the Rings, but now I'm just imagining the uh, the Bilbo Baggins scene where he's got the ring and he's like talking about it in his hand and his finger's like, why shouldn't I? Yes, exactly. It's, it's like Blake holding a copy of Spider-Man 2 <laughs> and like looking at us like... <laughs> Why shouldn't I? <laughs> um, that's good. That's good. So what's All your right, class? So hold on, we gotta get Saul's class down. Oh, okay. Because I agree with Saul being the the mid. Here's the Paladin. thing. One thing that po- people probably don't know about Saul, he's <laughs> for as serious as he could be on the show. Saul's a really goofy person, and he farts all the goddamn time. <laughs> Yu Gi Oh night. His chair is still beside me. The chair Dude, he podcasted in is the one that he does. Dude, I forgot to switch to chairs the other day. We went out to eat before we started doing Yu-Gi-Oh! Night, and I came back, and I sat in his chair, and a cloud of fart just... And I was like, bro, this should not be reasonable. How can I smell this? <laughs> You've not sat in it for a week. Um, so I have that going for it. So I like to imagine that Saul is somehow like putting out like poisonous magic or doing some kind of like, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of how, I mean. Paladin. He's a paladin. <clears throat> I was thinking maybe like a black mage. Wouldn't he be a white mage? Or a red mage, maybe. I, I think paladin, but I'll go with your, your gut. Or technomancer. Hmm. 
I mean, that's not the worst setup. I, I guess I was thinking Red Mage because the Red Mage and like, well, I mean, you know, it's a Final Fantasy class. Uh, it's not in all the games, but it is in some of them. Uh, and it's like a kind of a, a mix of like a ranged DPS, like ranged magical, but also melee DPS. And the thing about Saul is I like to imagine his farts would be his ranged weapon of choice. Okay. That'd be like his area of effect spell, you know? Gotcha. I like that. Yeah, and then his more melee-focused DPS stuff would just be him coming up and saying you got juicy booty and trying to grab up on it. <laughs> okay. I'm painting such a weird picture of Saul, but within the friends group, it works. It makes sense. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, I feel like people who listen who don't necessarily interact in the Discord, um, or at least didn't whenever Saul was uh, doing the show with us and was far more active in the Discord than he is these days, I think that they have a different picture of Saul than people who listen to the show and then interacted in the Discord. Yeah, because he's so like, literally the ghost of, of Saul Bridges. He's a ghost. Like, Kiki knows what I'm talking about when I say that Saul's like really goofy and dumb and like in, 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 in all the best ways. I am too. I mean, it's it's who we are as people. But I just don't think that that was as evident all the time through the show as he really is in person. And it's really an interesting dichotomy. Uh, and I think he acted a little more like himself in the Discord than in the show. And that's because we did the show differently back then. It's really kind of gone off the handle since you and I have started doing it. Uh, and I know it's inherently a different show, and that's fine. Uh, that's why we have the sexy corner. You know what I'm talking about? Let me hear this one more time. Hmm. See? That's what oh, I mean. Like that. It's almost like there should be another beat so you can keep bobbing your head. <laughs> God damn. Well, now you can shake your head in disappointment at me. Um, okay. So I'm going to say gut feeling. Yeah. Saul's a red mage. Okay. Uh, and yeah, he's a, he's a tragic mid-game death. Uh, okay. We got we got a... Here's the thing. Do we want to give ourselves classes or do we want to have the other person give each other classes? The other person. Okay. Um, do you have anything for me already in mind? Yes. Okay, go for it. You're a bard. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that that's real fair. Okay, cool. Glad we're on the same page. Okay, there. so within that, what are my bardic duties as you see fit? Am I more like heal-based bard or am I more like buff based bard what am i doing i think you're a heal based bard heal okay i got you but i think your biggest <clears throat> special special speciality mm-hmm. is that you have high charisma you're the host of the show right mm. so i think you end up you know you do the talking you get us out of situations that's fair cool i'm gonna call you <clears throat> Part of me wants to say assassin. <laughs> okay. All right. Or that kind of role. A rogue. But here's the thing. <clears throat> I don't think you're always stuck in the shadows. Or that you're always creeping around. So part of me wants to say like ranger, where you have that kind of ability to be a little more nimble and okay. like poke up, but you only really speak up whenever you feel like there's something to say. Because like mm. I'm the host of the show, right? So I think here's the th- I'm thinking of party integrity too, though. If we've got a red mage... Mm. 
and we've got an illusionist mage, <clears throat> and we got me. We've got a lot of oh you you being a ranger, you could be you could be a DPS. You wouldn't be a tank, so you and Saul would be like the DPS. I'd be like the healer slash buffer, <clears throat> and then I guess as the illusionist mage, I don't know. Would he be, would Blake be the tank in the Holy Trinity? Would he be like the the tank character? He's he's like makes illusions that people draw aggro to and can take a bunch of beating while yeah, the rest I think of us do our thing. Exactly. <clears throat> but I think he's like creating familiars and stuff, so they're the tanks. Yeah, it's all the ghost of Xbox pass. Yeah, exactly. All the characters that haven't had a relevant game in twenty years. Right. He conjures up some blinks of time <laughs> I, pass. Dude, I know I'm pissing some people off by just saying bullshit that comes to my head. That's all. But it's so funny. Yeah. It would be cool if he gets like Master Chief and like right before he's about to finish everything off, he just dies. You, you know what's funny about that is I actually think Sony has a much bigger catalog of characters that have completely died in the social conscious. <laughs> yeah. And Xbox, most of the characters that people know them for have had a game in the last five years. It's a very valid point. <clears throat> yeah. So I, I don't know. I think. I would have gone with Barbarian for me, so I'm good with I'm good with I, I thought Barbarian, but I don't know that you're as I don't know. I don't think you're as much of a brute as you're trying to think of yourself as. I <laughs> genuinely thought about Barbarian. That was like the other if I had to go with one, I wouldn't call you like you're not paladin, you're not warrior. Like if you're gonna be more of a tank, Barbarian would fit the closest. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I just I don't view you in that light. Okay. I'll take that. So, all right. So let's see. <clears throat> I think that I think that rounds everyone off, right? Yeah, I think so. That that's our party. I think we've topped everyone off. Mm, just like <clears throat> Kanye got topped off. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, Ooh. <laughs> we have an extension to the Velvet's Corner, uh, Kanye's and it's 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 no fate coming in, sliding into the Velvet Corner. You know that that section of the nightclub section mm-hmm. of the strip club, right? Where you go and have a private room to communicate and talk. And he says, allow me to extend on this question by asking which teenage mutant ninja turtle characters are the four of us. And he adds on, we can't all be Raphael. It's bold of you. Excuse me. Bold of you to think that I want to be Raphael. Bold of you to think that Raph is clearly the best of the TMT, but you know, you know, you are Let's very see. clearly Raph, though. <clears throat> okay, and why is that? Again, you're the host, you're the leader. I mean, I thought Leonardo was the leader. Okay, then you can be Leonardo. I don't follow the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, you don't know the Ninja Turtles? Hold on, have you not seen Mutant Mayhem? It's awesome. No. Oh, wow. I feel bad for you. It's very good. I've you should check it out. Never. The I think the only thing I've okay, well, watched give me a second Ninja then. Turtles is Batman and Ninja Turtles. Did you ever seen the live action Ninja Turtle movies from the nineties? Nope. Dude, one and two are incredible. Turtles in Time, which is the third one, is a little rough, but it's endearing in some parts. Okay. It's like them going back to like <laughs> samurai Japan. It's really weird. Lit. I like it's, it. Yeah, it's it's a weird movie, but it's good. Um, all right. Let me give you a quick rundown of how I view the characters. So Leonardo is typically like the the leader, and he's very headstrong. And that's a good example for him. Then you have a Mikey, and I feel like Mikey's probably the one you know the most about. Would you say that? He's I like, don't know anything about the Ninja Turtles. You are kidding me. Mikey's the orange headband? Mm, okay, that works. Oh, my God. 
Does he have maces or something? You are killing me, my guy. No, he doesn't have maces. I agree. He's like I call him I call him <laughs> I call him like the hippie of the group, right? He's like the fun loving, free spirited goofball. Like okay. he's he, his character's purpose is comic relief. So that's me. Okay, so you're comic relief and yeah, you're point. Leonardo. Okay, gotcha. I am very headstrong. So I, I actually don't think that that's <clears throat> the wrong. Here's the problem of this. Raph is like the big, muscular, serious dude. Blake. I don't. Th- that's, I don't know who to give that to. We're all a bunch of fucking idiots. Is the problem here? I think yeah, we can give it to Blake. I mean, what's, Blake what is, is the, the characteristics of the other guy? Oh, the Gerald brains. or whatever his name is. <laughs> Donatello. Do you at least know that they're named after the four Renaissance painters? Yeah, but I don't know Renaissance painters, so <laughs> it doesn't help me at all. <laughs> at least you know that much. Okay, Donatello is the last one. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And like I said, he's like the uh, he's the brains of the group. So like in more modern stuff, he's typically the more techie one of them. Okay, you can give that to Blake. Uh yeah, no, he's got to be that one because somebody who buys, sells, and trades gaming PCs, switches, and Xboxes and PS5s as much. I got to throw this out there. Savvy. Saw buys so many technology things that it blows my mind. You know how many emulator things that Saw's bought, like those little emulator handhelds? Mm. He's bought like almost every single one that's hit the market. Damn. All right, Like almost every, every three months, he's got a new one. <clears throat> and it, I was like, was the last one that you said was really cool, not cool enough? <laughs> And then he's got the Steam Deck and a Switch and computer that he's constantly upgrading. All right, I we'll feel like I want to, I want to give it to Saul. Okay. So I guess Raph ends up by nature of that, and unless one of us wants to take Raph, I mean, it feels I, unfair of me to give myself <clears> a role. So I'll, I will defer to you if you think I'm Leonardo or the leader, uh, then I'll roll with that. Yeah, I think you're Leonardo. I'm hard headed, so I do think that that's yeah. I'm very All right, I'll give Blake. Um, Da Vinci or whatever the other one is. And then, um, so Raphael, are we going I'll back take, to being the masculine? I'll take Van muscular? Gogh or Donatello or whatever it is. I, I hate you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're doing this on purpose, but woo, I am. I here, I know that someone is equally as like, how the hell can you grow up without Ninja Turtles as they were with me last week when I'm like, I didn't really do a lot of Power Rangers. Because I just didn't. I didn't watch Power Rangers or Ninja Turtles, and I didn't see Star Wars until yeah. Force Awakens was coming out. And I've never watched Lord of the Rings. So, so you grew up watching Saved by the Bell. I, there's something going on there. Apparently, my parents are far more hip. <laughs> I, I guess think, that's what it is. Yeah, maybe that's, that's what happens when your parents have you when they're not ready. <laughs> Fair. Here's the thing: I watched Saved by the Bell because I knew Saved that by the if, Bell's a great show, though. I'm not even like hating, but I knew because my dad would watch it with us in the morning, so I knew. <clears throat> oh yeah, fair. And I, I liked the show, and I liked spending time with my dad. But I also knew that if we watched Saved by the Bell and the bus went by, we were going to finish that episode of Saved by the Bell before he got up and took us to school. So that is so <laughs> funny. I, I actually told my daughter the other day that uh, used to in the morning we'd get because I lived out in the middle of nowhere, so I had to ride the bus. And uh, I used to, I told her that we had to get up at like six in the morning mm-hmm. and 
I was like, I remember we'd get ready and we'd eat uh, breakfast. This was before my parents were divorced. We had one year in the new house that we had built. Um, you know, it was a big upgrade from the trailer we lived in. And I remember that for that year, we had cable, which was not always the case. And we would watch the Adams Family cartoon and stuff like that in the morning uh, before school with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Before the Fire Nation attacked. <laughs> <laughs> The Good Fire Lord. Nation being my dad's fist slamming against my mother's face. Jesus Christ. <laughs> to this day, I hope he listens to this podcast. To this day, he says he's never hit my mom and all three of us. Well, my sister was literally a baby when my parents got divorced, but my dad beat my mom like the whole time I was growing up. So I just think I know that's like a real heavy thing that I'm <clears throat> on the show, but I, it goes to show you how much people are, have like a dissonance with themselves. Like they just think things didn't happen the way they did. Yeah. I, I'm sure it hits us all at some point, but it, when you have those moments, it's like, wow. Like, dude, it's been 20 years. You can't tell me that you that you definitely hit mom in front of us. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still talking to you. If it was going to impact our relationship to that degree, <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't even you <laughs> I know. Wouldn't bother because I remember. So, <laughs> be honest. Now you're just pissing me off because you're lying. Exactly. And he looks at me so indignantly when I say it. Well, so we'll, we'll add some levity. Yeah. With, with my staff, I'm like, if I don't want you to work, like, if you're late, just be honest. And I got so pissed the other day because one of my guys is almost an hour late. And he looks at me, and this is for audio for audio listeners, I'm rubbing my eyes. He looks at me and he goes, oh, oh traffic. And I was like, shut the fuck up, dude. You're, so, you're still half asleep. And I drove through the traffic an hour ago. You just, you woke up late. Now I'm mad and writing you up because you were late. I wouldn't have done that if you just said, oh, I woke up late. Sorry. I'm like, okay, I didn't fucking need you an hour ago. We're, we're dead. We're just prepping. I didn't need you. But you lied to yeah. me. Now I'm pissed off. Now you're getting written up. Fuck you. <laughs> That's pretty true. How, 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 so you would be completely reasonable if somebody walked in an hour and a half late and they were like, dude, Armored Core 6. <laughs> Yeah, He's no, I, like, told, I get it, at, dude. At my last job, um, I, I'll tell this story. But one of the guys I used to work with, me and him played. I won't be the show together occasionally. And <laughs> oh, I told no. he came in one day and he was like, "Oh man, like I got so close to finishing this challenge. It was like the last day of the season." He was like, "I'm so close to finishing this challenge, but I had to come to work." And I just looked at him I'm like, "You know, if you just called me and told me, I would have told you to finish." He was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't care. That's the thing. Like, I would rather you be honest. If I call you to work and you're like, I don't, and you're like oh, I got to wash my dog and, you know, you know, w- you know, clean the carpets. I'd be like, okay, well, fuck you. But you're like, I don't want to work. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that- <laughs> it's your day off. Like, what am I going to get mad at you for? <laughs> yeah, I know somebody who's like that where they had to come up with a reason why they can't on their day off. I'm like, no, dude. Just tell the person, no, it's my day off, and I don't feel like getting overtime, and I don't want it. So, yeah, no. I used to do that. I used to <laughs> make up the biggest they, lies of all know. time. I would just be like, no, I'm going to a uh, fucking baseball game like four states away. I can't. Now, now I'm just like, no. There was one time before I became a manager, one of my one of the assistants, assistant managers, was like, if you work late, uh, if you work today on your day off, I'll give you another day off this week. And then so my chef was like, I can't do that. And I'm like, well, he fucking told me and I don't want to work today. So I'm leaving. It's like, okay. 
Yeah, that's the kind of thing I'd be like, I need that in writing and notarized because if you, there is no way in hell that I work today and then you still don't give me a day off. Yeah, well, that's how I was like. He was like, don't you want overtime? I was like, no, I want to watch the Red Sox game. Like, I'm going home. Yeah, I would just love part of me would love to have somebody just go through like a series of like way over the top. Like, Hey man, uh, we got somebody short today. Would you be willing to come in on your day off? Oh man. There was like a last minute military draft. I can't believe you didn't hear about this. It took all the first sons. <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah, dude, I'm right now. I'm in the internal, like on your, on your computer, you like hit a button and you hear like helicopter things. Yeah, dude. Like I'm, I'm on <laughs> <laughs> They're taking me over to Korea right now, bro. <laughs> I'm actually dropping into the Kremlin immediately, so I gotta go. Yeah. Just turn on the intro to Tropic Thunder and just have it on in the background. So I'd be listening to that whole thing and be like, "All right, you're gonna be at work tomorrow." Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> I would love be like, yeah, dude, they said it's just a single day operation. I can come back tomorrow. It's actually the <laughs> fastest war of all time. I can't believe it. Just like Iraq. Yeah, they they think it may not even hit the news cycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually part of a covert ops team. <laughs> <laughs> I've never told you this, but I'm actually a member of the FBI and I only use this job when I'm in between missions. <laughs> <laughs> I really like flipping burgers, so I'm gonna keep working. <laughs> Yeah, the FBI is just my job, but the flipping burgers is my passion. <laughs> I always wanted to go to Hamburger University. Sadly, I went to Bureau before the Bureau before I went to HU. Oh, dude, you missed out on HU, <laughs> dude. I've always I've always wanted to go to HU. I should have saved my McDonald's. Mean, why not? Yeah, I think just cool. saying that you have a that you have a degree from HU is also fucking hilarious. <laughs> Part of me just wants to go. So I can just start telling people like I'm a doctor, doctor Beck. You know what's you know what's sad? They should have a PhD in burgerology. They should have. They should have just called it MU. You know, McDonald's. Because then, yeah, because you know they work with cows, and you went to Moo Moo. University. <laughs> you absolute ass. I saw it coming from you a mile away. Move. I was just waiting for you to see to say that dumb shit. Oh my god. Oh. All right, Chris. I think this has gone on quite long enough. Yeah, let's end this dumb shit. I got work in uh, let's, seven hours. All right, so here we are. What is the community's take for everybody? Uh, what should they have called Hamburger University? Yes, exactly. What's the slogan for Moo? Um well, we went on for like an hour about a topic, and I can't remember what it was now. An hour and a half. Probably later. how, probably how COVID, uh, you know, impacted games and how the context of games are changing. It was the that way one. that people are looking at. Uh, I was th- that that one's not bad. I was thinking of the uh, what's oh your the favorite? Bible stories. The, that one, yes. But your <laughs> pinnacle of each genre or type of game. Yeah, the pinnacle of each genre is actually a good question. I think that's a really easy one for to, to put out and have people answer. So there Pick you go, Judy. Your question has become, <laughs> yeah, one genre and the game that you pit other games against in that same genre. We'll throw that out there on social media. So again, if you want to follow us on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, then you can find us at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook and the group Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. And then lastly, whether you're watching on video, hopefully, or listening on podcast services, click down in the description and join the Discord. We love to hear you. We love, That's where you're going to find Chris and I 99% of the time. You'll see me on Twitter here and there. I have my moments. Um, 
But until next week, I want to remind you guys that if you want to support the show with more than just your time, which we are always so thankful for, then you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month. It's a huge help to us. It keeps the show afloat without us having to stress about digging in our own pockets. And we are forever grateful for you guys that allow us to do this. So without further ado, we always shout out our patrons at the end of every episode while that list is still reasonable enough to do so. So without further ado, we would like to shout out Spencer. Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Easton, 328, Aztec King, Leachion69, The Lord Corgi, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, and Matthew Green. And finally, Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week.